Oddities, Late Night Movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities, where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel, but most of the time, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic Swamp. I'm Zach. And okay, ladies, I'm Tony Moss. I produce this show. Some of you have probably heard that I'm a prick. I am a prick. I got one interest here, and that's the show. I don't care whether you live or die. I want to see you dance. I want to see you smile. I can't use you if you can't smile. I can't use you if you can't show. And I can't use you if you can't sell. Let me see you. Spread out. Spread out. This week on Cinemodities, we are continuing on with the middle episode of our Chewed Up and Spit Out series. But of course, before we get into this exact film, once again, our guest co-host for this episode was pulling our legs, doing a funny on us. This one might be the most obvious. This was clearly not Zach reading the intro. This is none other than a first-timer on the show. We have Heather. Heather, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And I think as we discuss this movie, uh, it'll become very clear why we had a Heather on this show. I tried to get a Tiffany. No pennies, though, you know, as as, <laughs> as we are aware. Hey! I want you to meet Hope. Hi. Hi. Okay, cut it out. Okay. Hope, this is uh, Tiffany, Farrah, Heather, Henrietta. My name isn't Hope. My name's Penny. <laughs> They want class, dum-dum. They don't want to fuck a penny. They want to fuck a, a Heather or a, or a Tiffany or a Hope. Huh? But before we jump into that, we have to talk about, well, once again, why is Zach not here? And I think this is a, a going to be another doozy because I love dropping this on people. Whenever we have first-timers on this show, they get to be brought into the loop of some very important information. Heather, are you aware that this podcast is not only a outlet or a hobby for Zach and I and others to discuss media, cinematic oddities, but it is actually a weekly board meeting at which we work out how to better own and operate the Cinemodities restaurant? Heather, are you at all familiar with the Cinemodities restaurant? I don't know about the restaurant, but I was pretty sure you did this podcast full time. Okay, exactly. So uh, I think right now, all you need to know about the restaurant is uh, it exists and it's totally real, first off, first and foremost. Uh, it is in Times Square in Manhattan, in New York City. It is where Mars 2112 used to be, so it's underground. It's finite on the outside, but it's infinite on the inside. And it's so infinite that some customers have not been able to find their way out. So it's kind of like its whole little society down there. Does okay. that make sense? Okay, you buy it. Perfect, right? Yeah, yeah, I totally buy it. <laughs> and of course, whenever Zach is not here, it's because he is off working at the restaurant. And ah. we always have to say, well, what's he working on this week? And our audience might not remember. It's been a while since we brought it up, and, and since we're dropping this information on Heather, it's good for her to know as well. We we actually hire as like a uh, – they're not really waiters. They're not really hosts. They're just kind of like a, a, a thing that goes around the restaurant. It's a group of middle school kids, and we just have them make fun of our customers while they're eating. You know, like maybe like call them – 
steal their stuff and like throw things at them like spitballs and things like that because it's good fun who doesn't want you know themselves to be belittled when they go to a restaurant where, yeah, by middle schoolers exactly. specifically. Yeah, where, where okay. also most of the food ends up killing people as well. Um, oh. So we we also have a child's portion of the restaurant where, you know, you can put your kids and then the, the parents or whoever go and have a better uh, kid-free experience. Better is definitely subjective. But the kids' portion of the restaurant is known as sin e modities. Like, think Chuck E. Cheese, but sin e modities. Uh-huh. Yeah. And apparently some of the children that are actually customers in the restaurant, not the ones that we hired, they have seen the middle schoolers we've hired and they started to emulate this activity for themselves. So there's groups of children customers that are going around the restaurant and making fun of our actual adult customers. And we don't like this because only we can make fun of our customers, right? Yeah, the middle schoolers that we hired, right? Exactly. Yeah. So so when this first started becoming an issue, we immediately said, well, the, the only way or the best way to combat this is we hire more of our own middle school bullies to engage in combat with the actual child customers and push them back. You know, we want to reduce the advances of these rogue children. This was a little while ago. Um, there's got to be about a thousand children on each side of this thing with some smaller factions vying for control. So the war is still raging on between the middle schoolers we hire and the actual children that people bring to the restaurant. Okay. Right now, Zach is at the restaurant trying to keep the bloodshed contained to the laser tag course in the restaurant. Because we okay. want the rest of the restaurant to keep going. He's just trying to keep it all in. We have a Skynet laser tag force, like uh, modeled after the future of the Terminator series. And we're just trying to keep it all contained in there. Because we don't want, you know, the anybody to come in and they, like, want a table for however many people. And before we can even seat them, they see, you know, like, little kids just beating up on each other. And we don't want our, our workers to have to explain to them, no, 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 that's okay. That's, that's a, like, an extermination that we're carrying out. I mean, you could also start advertising that it's like dinner and a show. Bring your kids. <laughs> kid, kid fights. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like like the Dixie Stampede, but with kids. I I guess if we if this ends up being like the thousand years war between all these kids, we might have to capitalize it on some way. Zach and I are still holding out hope that we will win this thing. We're definitely not going to lose. Failure is not an option. But that is exactly where Zach is and why he's not here. Um, even though this was this was a movie that Zach had pitched or had on his, his list um, even way back at the beginning of this podcast. It just has taken us so long to get to it. But we're finally making it to none other than Showgirls. Jazz hands. Woo! Oh, I, oh, I just want to, like... Do the I'm hand doing, motion. <laughs> oh, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I have the best jazz hands right now. Everybody in the audience, or whenever you listen to this, you should just imagine the, for the rest of this discussion, you're, Heather and Rob are just doing the jazz hands motion from this movie constantly. And if you hear, like, something hit the mic, it's because we hit the mic with our hands while we were doing <laughs> the jazz hands. <laughs> exactly. Oh, it's also, infectious. Yeah. It is very – I just did it like 10 times while you were explaining it, so. <laughs> so this this movie, of course, um, I think this fits perfectly into um, the, the Chewed Up and Spit Out series, which, of course, this is our third episode. Uh, as our audience knows, if they've been following along, these are movies that 
fall into the the themes of uh, the journey and the plight of women in the industry. And it was pretty neat because, you know, in Under the Silver Lake, we had kind of women in Hollywood and women is like related to rich men to some extent. Um, and then Black Swan, we had the, the dancing aspect, but it was ballerinas and ballets in New York City. And now we get the dance industry, the showgirl industry in Las Vegas. And we're going to do even different ones. We've got two more left to go in this series. Um, but I think out of all five movies we're going to do this month, this is the one that gets at it, I would say, probably in the most realistic way. When I say realistic, I mean compared to the other movies, this movie isn't abstract. There's no real kind of surrealism that goes on this movie. in this movie. It's just kind of like, this, this is the way that this world works in Las Vegas. And it's really, yeah. really interesting. Um, so I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Heather, but before I told you about this movie and asked you and invited you onto this podcast, you had never seen it, right? No, I had never seen it. And since then, I've seen it three times. Oh, yeah. So I guess just some, some, a little background. Uh, I asked Heather, uh, if she wanted to talk about this movie. Um, she said, I got to check it out. Uh, she watched it. Uh, I hung out with her. Uh, As soon as I hung out with her, she uh, kicked me in the groin. She slapped me. She spit on me. And then the pizza showed up, and then and she said— And I got said, arrested, and you had to bail me out of jail. <laughs> and then she was like, Showgirls is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was pretty good. It was pretty good, yeah. So that is good to hear, and that's something we're going to have to talk about, the, the immense amount of hate that this movie got when it came out, and I think even though it's a little more divisive today, still gets from some people. Um, of course— our background, it came out on September 22nd in 1995, and to this day, it is still the only NC-17 rated film to get a wide release in the U.S. Um, by, you know, just, you know, uh, correlation, if since it's the only NC-17 rated film to get a wide release, it is also the highest grossing NC-17 rated film. It made about $20 million in the U.S., it made $38 million worldwide against a $45 million budget, so it lost a lot of money. And well, it, it lost a lot of money theatrically, but it then went on to make just a shitload of money on home video, reportedly over $100 million on home video, becoming one of MGM's best releases. It's definitely a movie I would rather watch at home in the comfort of my blinds on my windows versus <laughs> in a crowd with a bunch of other people. So, Oh, that see, that's, <laughs> that's a good point. My, my, uh, hypothesis was going to be that this made so much money on home video because all the teenage boys wanted to rent it <laughs> or, or it, buy it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even the adults, you know, it's oh, like, Oh course. no, I'm just watching a movie. It's a real movie. Don't worry. Now that I didn't think about the theater going experience. That's interesting because one, big screen boobies. Yeah. Individual people might not have a problem with that. But there's some scenes in this movie, I'm not even talking about the real t- rough ones at the end. I think from start to finish, there's some things I could only imagine people in the theaters would be like, this is weird to see with others. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like everybody would just be pitching tents like all over the audience. It would just be, it, it would get messy. They would pull up Pee Wee Herman and they'd all start masturbating in the theater. They would just be a crowd full of Pee Wee Hermans. <laughs> that, that should have been like the line on the poster when this movie came out. See it with a crowd of Pee Wee Hermans. 
<laughs> when did Pee Wee Herman get in trouble for that anyways? Was oh. that before or after? Was it actually when he saw this movie? Is that what triggered no. it? <laughs> yeah, that would be amazing. Um, I'm trying to remember the year. I'm pretty sure, though, he was in, like, an actual adult theater when he got arrested. Like, I don't think he was in a regular theater. I think yeah, that, I think he was in an adult theater. 1991. So this he he got he got arrested for jacking it before Showgirls. Okay, so he just like has a thing. He's apparently this is yeah. uh, this okay. this is a weird tangent. <laughs> Anyways, back to boobies. So so yes, this movie did not do well in theaters. It did great uh, on home video. Um, speaking of home video. I find it just ridiculous that um, there is a TV version. I know I mentioned this to you the other day, Heather. It's it's I haven't been able to find like a full copy or a rip of the TV version. But if you go online, you can actually find a few clips. And in the TV version, there's certainly some things cut out. But when there's scenes that they leave in with nudity, there are CGI bras covering the women. And it looks terrible. Like it looks so bad. It's painful to see, but it does like, exist. Like 1995 CGI bras or like 2020 CGI bras? Like late 90s. Like when, when oh. this hit TV, it would probably be like 96 to 99 when people, they were trying to still like make yeah. some money from it. And it's, it's not good CGI. Like, so oh, like the beginning of CGI. Yeah. I mean, of course they didn't have like the money that like Jurassic Park had, which was 93. But uh-huh. that, that movie cost a bunch of money. So they were doing bare minimum mid to late 90s CGI to cover breasts. And it looks ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Why cover breasts? Like, we all got nipples. Just let them hang out. Yep. I don't I know. I don't get it. The FCC is weird. You can't show – you can show a side of a boob, but you can't show a nipple. Yeah. And then why can you show nipples, but you can't show any wieners? <laughs> exactly. We just need nudity all the time on every channel. <laughs> exactly. Just desensitize yourselves to it. Oh, man. I, I think that's what this movie, they were trying to do some sense of desensitization because I, I know that they wanted this being NC-17 rated. They're giving it a wide release. I think this wanted they wanted this to be like a watershed movie that was going to change what everybody thought about the film going industry. It was like, oh, something a lot more racy could actually you know make money and then of course it did not work so they were they were trying i give them credit and of course the person trying was the director none other than paul verhoeven a cinemodities favorite even though i think we've only covered one of his movies before total recall i don't think we did any others um i'm a big fan of paul verhoeven um of course he did things like robocop uh, Basic Instinct, where Sharon Stone shows her vagina in the leg crossing scene. Um, he goes on to do Starship Troopers after this, after Showgirls, and he's just great. He's a he's a weird man. I don't know if you've ever seen him interviewed, was, but he one... um, he sounds like Goldmember. That's what I'm, that's the point I'm trying to make. <laughs> okay, all right. What was the the movie that he directed that you were saying people were uncomfortable about being naked so then he got all of the camera crew and everybody else to get naked yeah that was starship troopers yeah they they were doing like the co-ed uh locker room scene and some of the people were like this is weird and he's like no no i would get naked too (laughs) (laughs) because that makes it less weird i love nudity (laughs) (laughs) yeah he definitely he definitely is a very um sexual filmmaker and with a lot of his movies are very sexually driven this of course being 
I would say the the most of it. I haven't seen L, one of his more recent movies, um, but uh, I think that one's pretty sexually charged as well. But that's a French movie, um, so it's a little more accept. It is nudity, I think, and sexuality are a little more accepted in their film industry than now or in you know late two thousands than we had in America for showgirls. It's it's interesting for sure. Mm-hmm. Is there a showgirls two? Oh. Okay, are we going to have to come back to that? Yes. I, I, well, no, we can talk about it now because I did have this as well. Um, it, It's technically an unofficial sequel in the sense that, like, it's um, it, it, was a, it was a Kickstarter movie. And it is called Showgirls 2, Pennies from Heaven. And it, it's Penny apostrophe S. So it's like Penny is from Heaven, but it's Pennies uh, from Heaven to play yeah. on, you know, I guess, the, like the coins from Heaven. But the thing that blows me away is that it's written, directed, edited, produced by, and stars Rena Riffle, who plays Penny in the first movie. Yes. And then here it gives her a last name, too, so that her last name is Slot. Yes. So her full name is Penny <laughs> Slot. <laughs> so. <laughs> it, I, I, Penny is, like, not a major. She's such, she's such a small character in the first movie. I don't know the history of why she or anyone would want to make a showgirls too but i know that um she gets uh james back like james is a main character which makes sense because at the end of this movie they're uh, getting ready to get married um i i do have a copy of this movie but i have not yet seen it okay well uh next week on cinemodities (laughs) (laughs) that definitely might be like worthy of a bonus episode just to see what the hell showgirls 2 is about (laughs) even just like a short little like 15 minute why was this made why have we ever watched it and (laughs) yes i think it's it's even longer than showgirls i think it's got like another 15 minutes on showgirls oh my gosh and showgirls was pretty long too yeah yeah like i think it's a 210 two hours and something yeah Oh, yeah. So, yes, there is. I'm glad you saw that. That will be something we have to check out one day. Showgirls 2. <laughs> yes. So, so not only did this... Oh, I guess we should also say Showgirls 2 came out in 2011. So 16 years later, we get that movie. Can you imagine that actress 16 years older? Oh, yeah. James like... does not have the dreads or his haircut. He's, like, got a crew cut. Like oh. in that, because because around that same time he did a, like a guest spot on a Law and Order SVU episode, and he's like unrecognizable from this movie because he's older and his hair is different, and it's it's just oh. like what the hell? And I don't even know if if they have they gotta have a baby in them. Well, it wouldn't be a baby; it'd be a teenager in two thousand eleven. Yeah, right? <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. He does look totally different. Yeah, he yeah he showgirls aged him up for sure. Yes. Yeah, so that, yeah, we will definitely have to check that out, Showgirls too. Um, it's 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 a doozy that that just even exists. And I I was tempted to watch it before this conversation, but I was like, it might be something so ridiculous it would like take away my focus from actual Showgirls. Okay, well after today we can watch it together, and then we'll, definitely. Yeah, we'll have to figure it out. Maybe even then Justin will be allowed. I don't know. You if know he's how, matured enough. You know how nudity upsets him. <laughs> I, it really does. <laughs> All right. So, so um, Showgirls 2, the, the verdict is still out. But when Showgirls came out, as we already said, it was a bomb. Not only was it a financial bomb, but it also 
1996 or the the you know 1996 Razzie Awards, which would cover the movies from 95. The movie took home a record eight Razzie Awards in one night. And so the Razzies, of course, the Golden Raspberries, are basically the opposite of the Oscars and the Golden Globes. It's for the worst movies rather than the best movies. In one night, Showgirls won Worst Picture, Worst Director, Worst Screenplay, Worst Original Song, Worst On-Screen Couple, yes, for that sex scene, Worst Actress, and Worst New Star. Worst Actress and Worst New Star were both Elizabeth Berkley. No, I thought she did really well, her acting. She was just given a really difficult role. Oh, yeah. But that sex scene was really terrible. (laughs) I rewatched it today and had to, like, fast forward through it. That might be the only one I I agree with, that that is just the weirdest thing to watch. (laughs) Like, how could that even feel good? I don't know. It just doesn't even, like, like you're seizuring on top of the water. It just... But other than that, I think she did really good with the role that she was given. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and I, I do want to get – because that's a huge part of this movie, Elizabeth Berkley. Um, but in 2000, Showgirls won another Razzie for the worst film of the 1990s. Really? So it actually has eight Razzie wins. That is not no longer the record. The, the record for wins is actually Jack and Jill, the Adam Sandler movie where he plays like the – himself and his sister that oh has, yeah 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 that has 10 That's... wins um but to this day showgirls holds the records for the most nominations so even though it won eight it actually got 13 total nominations holy crap well hey you know if people are hating then that's how you know you made it oh yeah except unless you're adam sandler <laughs> I, I think I've said it before on Cinemodities as well. We don't talk about the Razzies a lot, um, but whenever they do come up, I always say that even though I think there is a place for the Razzies, like if there's a best awards, there should be a worst awards. But if you look through like the list of movies that have won Razzies or like the top 50 movies that have won the most Razzies, they're, like a good 20% of those movies are movies I consider the best of all time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Showgirls being one of them. So I'm I'm glad you're in agreement with me, Heather. Elizabeth Berkeley as Nomi Malone, or Polly Ann Purcell, whichever name you want to, or or Heather, yeah, whichever yeah, name she we want to take. Yeah, by Heather. Yeah. Then she is. I think she's great in this movie. Um, the thing is that I think before we talk about her performance in this, we have to say we are definitely not glossing over the fact that before she was in Showgirls. She was Jesse Spano from Saved by the Bell. Did you ever watch Saved by the Bell? I think it came on on cable. Maybe I flipped through it a little bit as a kid, but not really. No. She was. She played like the nerdy girl. And um, the, I don't remember a lot of Saved by the Bell, even though I've seen a bunch of it. I, I thought she was fine. Um, I, I definitely remembered an episode where like... She gets addicted to caffeine pills, and oh. she, she like legit like starts freaking out with caffeine pills. And I'll have to put the clip in, but it's hilarious because it's something like she's passed out on like the floor and or the, her bed, and Zach Morris comes in. And Zach Morris like, come on, you got to go do this thing. Some other part of the episode, 
And she's like, oh my god, she's like freaking out, and then she's like, I just gotta take some of these pills and I'll be fine. And Zach's like, you don't need pills, and like grabs her, and she's like, no, I do need the pills. And then she starts singing like, I'm so excited! And then she just starts breaking down crying, and that stuck with me because it was so weird for like a, a show for like teenagers. It was way too heavy. Pills! You mean you really are taking drugs? I need them! Jesse, give me those! I need them, Zach! I what? have to sing! Jesse! You can't sing tonight! Yes, I can! Jesse, Jesse. Yes, that was, I mean, yeah, I mean, I know you guys liked your uppers in the 80s, but, I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, it looks like she was also in Baywatch. Oh, okay. Yeah, she, I think she, her biggest roles were definitely Saved by the Bell in this, and after, after Showgirls, she definitely kept acting, but never as a leading role, like, ever again. And this movie, many, she said it, I think Paul Verhoeven said it, I think it's been said many times in the industry, this movie basically ruined her career. Because after, after this movie, her manager dropped her, others wouldn't take her on, she was just basically, like, you know, blacklisted. But the thing is, like... It's totally sexist. Yeah, like, like for what? Like, she, she showed, like, all of her body to this, for this movie which you needed someone to do. It's going to be this big NC-17 movie. Uh-huh. And sure, there's some goofiness to it. You know, like, uh, we'll have we'll get to the her throwing her french fries and chicken fingers around for no reason. <laughs> and some of it's goofy, but it's it's not like it's terrible. I, I think she, she is very terse and abrupt, and she's, like, very, you know, on edge. But that's because of where she is in her role and her character. And what we find out about her later, it, like, all makes sense to me. Yeah, in the last, like, five minutes, you get the whole breakdown, and you're like, oh, her whole character makes so much more sense, and I want to rewatch it with this, you know, per- perception of it. Yeah, exactly. So I don't I don't understand why this It was definitely... Because no one else... I mean, other people's careers definitely took a little hit, but it's like no one got blacklisted. All Like, Paul I mean, Verhoeven goes on to make tons more movies. Kyle MacLachlan is, you know, a, a, a namestay. Um, Gina Gershon's still around. I, yeah, I guess she's in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, R- Rena Riffle gets to make Showgirls two sixteen years later. <laughs> yeah. So I I did see that uh, this was interesting because I was looking at what else Elizabeth Berkeley has done, and like I said, it's all like guest spots or or you know small roles. You know, she's never a leading role again after this film. She was on season seventeen of Dancing with the Stars. Which I was like, oh, that makes sense. She was in the dance movie. Um, she came you, in six. You her... said Elizabeth Berkley? Yeah, was Elizabeth... the one who was in Dancing with the Stars. Yes, yes. Okay, so, nice. Um, she came her or she her team, you know, because they the celebrity gets paired up with the professional dancer. They came in sixth, and they beat out um, people like this is not a joke. But Bill Nye the Science Guy. Oh. And Snooky was in that season as well. Oh. <laughs> but okay. She, she lost to people like. Leia Ramini, Bill Engvall, and Jack Osborne. And it's just like, I've never seen Dancing with the Stars. I just know of it through cultural osmosis. But when I looked at that season with her, I was like, man, they just take anyone for this show, it seems. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jack Osborne, who even knew he had any rhythm? Yeah, I I just always know him as the uh, Ozzy Osborne's fat son from the exactly. Ozzy's reality show way back exactly. in the day. Exactly. 
Um, so yeah, so she she has not done too much since, and it's a shame because she's great. She was great as Jesse Spano. She's great in this movie, um, and hopefully, you know, if they ever make a Showgirls three, it'll, it'll have her back on board. <laughs> I hope so. So okay, um, this of course, as we said, it was panned all these terrible awards. People called it the worst movie of all time. I think some people still call it that. As the years have gone by, you know, in the, what, the 20, 20 plus years since it came out, it's regained some favor. Um, it's got some more releases. Before we get into actually discussing what we think of this movie and if it deserves, or what it does or does not deserve, apparently, this blew me away, Heather, there was a 2004 DVD release of this movie called The VIP Edition. And not only did this come with a bunch of bonus features uh, on the actual disc, it also actually came with some physical goodies. Uh, it came with shot glasses. Okay. I, I looked to where I could buy these showgirl shot glasses, and I found one on eBay for $65. Oh, no. And I was like, Fuck damn, that. that is way <laughs> too much for a shot glass. Um, it came with, uh, like, uh, cards but the cards weren't like a, a deck of cards it was like drinking game cards i couldn't oh. find if it was related to the movie i think it might have just been a drinking game that they <laughs> packaged with it <laughs> yeah they're like you're gonna need to get drunk to watch this show but the the thing that blew me away the most is that it comes with a nude poster of a, of nomi of elizabeth berkeley along with two suction cup pasties so people can play pin the pasties on the showgirl that is insulting. Yeah, that that's the thing that deserves <laughs> criticism because that is just clear. Like this movie, as I'm sure we'll get into big time, this movie is not just, you know, sexualizing and showing off the female body. A poster like that is. Like there's meaning to this movie. There's no yeah. meaning behind the poster of, hey, everybody, let's blindfold each other and you got to get the suction cup on her tits. Not to mention what scene in the movie had pasties. Oh yeah, that's that's a good point. <laughs> I don't think like, I why are you even gonna that? try to like PGify it? Like, no, there were no suction cups on the titties. Just it was just all titties. Yes, that's it. and there so were no pasties. That blew me away when I when I read about that. I was like, oh my god, like that that is insane. <laughs> yeah, that's that's insulting. Yes. I mean, a poster. Okay, like that's sexualizing it enough but then to put suction cup pasties <laughs> and, and turn it into like a game like what are you supposed to do be blindfolded while you do it i i think so i think it's the adult version of pin the tail on the donkey you're like blindfolded and half handcuffed to the bed <laughs> oh god i don't i couldn't find or i didn't really look but i didn't see when i was reading about this if this dvd sold very well um but it, it's just that that just screams marketing gimmick to me. It's like 2000 when this came out in 2004. It's like, hey, remember that terrible movie? But there was nudity. Wasn't that great? <laughs> oh, God. It's it's yeah. So this movie has has quite the history with not only from when it came out, but of course, we're still talking about it today. And I think, like I said, you know, now um, this is movie has regained some favor. Um, I think there's a lot of people who say, you know, oh, this is actually a a a really good satire. Some people say it's a masterpiece. Um, I think the place that I want to start, which is where it got all of its hate from in the beginning, is is a tough question because if I just kind of say it in the way that I've been thinking of it, it leaves a, a lot open to interpretation. But I guess we'll start with 
is this movie offensive? And I think you can take different routes down there because is it offensive to women? Well, probably because it's depicting how women get treated poorly, you know, as something that can be bought and sold in this Las Vegas enterprise. But I, I think the other thing that I've been thinking of is like, when I watch this movie, yes, I find that idea offensive, but just because the the concept of the movie is an offensive thing in reality, that doesn't mean we shouldn't make a movie about it, right? doesn't mean it makes the movie actually offensive. What, what yeah. are your thoughts on that? No, I mean, it's pretty much based in real life, and if you're offended by the movie, then you're offended by the way that society is structured. Like... That's the way that women are treated and growing up, you know, I in 1995, I was four years old, but at that point I was still involved in the performing arts and dancing. And I saw a lot of this even in, you know, my own experiences growing up. So I think it's, uh, I think if people find it offensive, it's like, yeah, it's boobs, but you know what, this is what goes on in real life. And I think that if you find the movie offensive, then you should find a lot more about the real world offensive too. Yeah. It, it kind of makes me think of, um, I haven't seen it, but I've been hearing about it recently. There's a, a movie from this year called, I think it's called the assistant. And it's a movie like, you know, that is poking, not poking fun, but you know, shedding light on the, you know, kind of Harvey Weinstein type of scandal where, you know, the, the big studio bosses, clearly doing something, you know, bad and, and demoralizing to women or whoever. And, you know, I think the movie's about, like, the assistant tries to go to HR to report it, and you it really depicts as, like, well, you know, the question of when the Weinstein story broke, everybody was like, well, why didn't anybody say anything? And this movie gets it more of the idea of, like, this is how they were suppressed into not saying anything. And I find that to be the same thing. Like, just because, you know, we all hate Harvey Weinstein now and what he did and the st state of the industry with women... That doesn't make the movie offensive. You know, we need that movie to, to actually show those things off. Yeah, exactly. Um, and even then, Nomi tried to do something about it. And, you know, of course, the entertainment director tried to act like he was calling him out. And then as soon as oh. she turned around and left, he was like, hey, get back here. You know, I'm just joking with you. Like, yes. wasn't that funny that I made you apologize for trying to get her to be a... A, a prostitute like <laughs> that is such a great scene and i think you know i think that's the stuff that i i can only imagine when this started to get panned in 1995 this there was so much focus on certain parts of this movie that that people were missing kind of the whole story like like that scene you know it's like that's she has that moment of like you know clarity and strength where she's like no like you're paying me a thousand dollars to dance at this boat show not to go and have like a foursome with you people yeah exactly like you told me i would get paid a thousand dollars and i asked you that's it yeah which of course to me i'm like you know if it sounds too good to be true it probably is but i mean if you're put in that situation with her history then I, yeah and yeah, then yeah yeah it, it's yeah. and it's unlike that in that scene that you brought up when she goes to she goes to Zach, Kyle McLaughlin's character, who she thinks she can trust, and she's like, you know, I like, I can't believe this happened. And I do love that scene where he yells and he's like, if I ever hear anything like this happening again, you know, you're out of here. You're out on your ass and something like that. And the guy's like, I I'm sorry, Nomi. And then Nomi leaves and Kyle McLaughlin on the phone. He's like, Phil, you dumb fuck. Get back up here. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, hey. 
What's going on? If I ever hear anything like this again, you're out of here. Zach, nothing happened. Yeah, something happened. She's jumping to conclusions, Zach. And if it happens again to anybody, you're going to jump to your conclusion. Without your golden parachute. You owe her an apology. Um, Nomi, I'm sorry. I apologize. Yeah, fine. Okay. Get out of here. Yeah. Give me some juice on three and four. An MBA is a degree you pick up in college. It's mostly worthless in the real world. Okay, let's get an audio check. You go for it, don't you? Yeah, I try to. Showtime. That's for sure. Blake, bring both of us back up. Feel you dumb fuck get back up here would you <laughs> i know i know <laughs> yeah exactly and then nomi goes to crystal and she's all like hey like thanks for suggesting me for that that was really great like thinking she got away with it and then crystal of course has this look on her face like yeah you think you get you got away mm-hmm. with it but really like you didn't yeah, and I, I think that's what people were focusing more on, or that's my guess, is that what people were focusing more on that panned this movie when it came out was kind of like the 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 women versus women conflict, where it was, you know, like, like oh, it's like, look at these, these women are trying to, like, use their bodies to better themselves, and it's like, well, yes, they are doing that, but that's because that's the nature of this show, that's, you know... Like like Tony Moss says in the audition she- scene, he's like, okay, take your tops off. And they all hesitate, and he's like, I'm running a topless show. You got to take your tops off. And he- they make it seem so natural and so just kind of this is the world we live in. And it's it's like – because that- that's it. But even this movie goes a few layers deeper. We get a few scenes of like, you know – like the, the the Stardust Hotel corporate people arguing, and there's there's like man on man conflict there. there. Even the the dancers, there's that one scene where like the gay dancers are making fun of the straight dancer, it's, and it, yeah, and it's like yeah. th- this is everybody, like everybody's in conflict because of this monstrosity that's been created, and I think that's the point of this movie. It's not just the like look at this exploitation like we just use sex as exploitative and it's like yeah we do but look at all the evil it creates it underneath that yeah like the entire industry is just corrupt and like this whole competitive field where nobody really gets by for too long and everybody's just always competing with each other or trying to push each other down the stairs or you know throw beads under their feet and <laughs> because because uh she made her children cry <laughs> yeah exactly and um that is a i gotta know. say that is a really weird scene because there's just children in the dressing room everybody's naked and the children are like mommy can we see the monkeys can we see the monkeys and then the other woman's like can you tell these kids to shut the fuck up and the kids are like oh, she said the f word and it's like that that's where the line is drawn <laughs> Mommy, can we see the monkeys? Not now, honey. They're busy. Please, Mommy, they're so cute. We can't see them, Mommy. They have to work, sweetheart. What are they doing, Mommy? They're getting ready for the, the show. I want to see the monkeys. Not now. I can't we see the monkeys. I can't wait. Will you get these fucking kids out of here? You said the F word. You said the F word. You said the F word. Shut the fuck up. Right? Like, 
you can't say the F word in front of my kids. Oh, man. You can show them your titties, but don't <laughs> say the F word. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. that scene is so, so weird. But, but it works because I love that, like, that whole, the, like, the main conflict or one of the biggest conflicts is, of course, Nomi versus Crystal Connors. But the whole movie, even from the very beginning, you have um, the, the one with, like, the braided hair and the black dancer constantly fighting with each other. Like, don't, if you ever touch my makeup again, and then the other one's like, yeah, well, yeah. you fuck the pizza boy. <laughs> yeah, and then they're talking about, like, oh, she just wants you to fix her G-string. Like, she cut the G-string herself because she wants you to smell it. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, and, and I think that the movie is, it gets, it's set up so well that there's so much conflict going on. And I can only imagine that when people back in the day, critics saw NC-17, there's a lot of nudity, a lot of sexuality. That just kind of, they missed the forest for the trees. And it's, it's, it's unfortunate. And I'm glad this movie has come around for people to see it more as what it is. Not that it's, you know, like a perfect movie. But I, I think in terms of offensiveness, it's, it's not, a, like we said earlier, you know, it's, it's reality to some extent, to a great extent. Yeah. And, I mean, the movie starts out with conflict. Like, Nomi gets into the truck with the guy who ends up stealing her luggage. And, you know, so it kind of starts out with that. And then at the end, it ends with her getting back into the truck with him. But by this point, she's not taking any shit. I, I love that. I know some people have an issue with that. Even I think people who like this movie, they're, like, a little thrown off by it's, like, almost, you know, a perfect coincidence that she gets picked up by the same exact guy. And yeah, I can, I can hear their arguments there where it's like, you know, what are the chances that Vegas, like going in and out of Vegas, she's going to find the same exact person. Sure. I understand that, but it's the perfect cherry on top of this movie because you know, when she gets picked up, he's like, did you gamble? Did you win? What'd you win? And she's like, I won me. I won myself. Now give me my fucking suitcase back. Yeah, and, and that's what she did. She actually, like you know, went through this new, new environment because from what we learned about her history, she's never been like a showgirl before, and she went through this more uh, formalized and civilized. I use that with a lot of air quotes version of what she's been living through, you know, as a prostitute, and she comes out on top. She gets to destroy Andrew Carver. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And then it's kind of the whole idea of like manifest destiny as well. Like she started out and I'm assuming maybe Colorado, maybe. Yeah, I, and then... I think so. I think Kyle McLaughlin, when he's espousing her backstory, says something like he's listing off places that she was like. And she was in Denver. Yeah, I think De he said yeah. Denver. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so when she gets in the truck with whatever his face was. He's talking about how he came from Kansas and he's going to Las Vegas to meet his uncle and she he picks her up. And then on at in the closing scene when they're leaving, um, they pass by a sign that says L.A. like X amount of miles. And so it's kind of like this whole idea about, OK, you had this journey in Las Vegas and now you're going to get in the truck and then you're going to move farther west. Like, what is your next story? I feel like yes. they could have almost gone from there. Instead of being like, instead of being a showgirl, how are you going to make it in L.A. now? Yep. So, so I actually did read that um, uh, the so directed this movie, of course, directed by Paul Verhoeven. It's written by a guy named Joe Esterhaus. Um, Joe uh, Esterhaus's plan was to make a showgirls two, 
It never happened, of course, because this movie lost so much money. Um, well, it did eventually, but it, yes, but but pennies <laughs> but from heaven from was yeah. not the original idea. the The original idea for Showgirls Two was Showgirls Two with the subtitle "Nomi Does Hollywood." See, that would have been a good movie. Oh, I would have, I would have watched the shit out of that movie. <laughs> exactly. Like, I wonder where she would have gone from there. Yeah, yeah, because you're exactly right. You know, they. I, I think that that shot of L.A. is the exact um, setup for that type of thing. Um, even though it works in the movie, where she, you know she's continuing going on to another episode of her life, learning something new. That it would have been great to see something, you know, about the Hollywood industry and how she could kind of, you know, maybe navigate that better at the start. Introduce her to new challenges because it is a different industry. It would have been great. I think hands down. If Paul Verhoeven came back to direct, it would have been fantastic. Of course. Honestly, I can see the conspiracy about them getting so many razzes because they didn't oh, yeah. want them to disclose this stuff about Hollywood. So oh, it's a conspiracy. Yeah, that's they... why they're that's why it's ranked so low. You heard it here, everybody. Goddamn Hollywood. That's why that's why this movie never got a true sequel. I know it's a Scientologist. <laughs> so so, yeah, I, I'm glad we're in agreement that this this movie I think is not offensive in his existence. Like I've said it before on this podcast, there's some movies that I do find offensive because of the ideas that they put forth. I find what these women have to go through offensive, but this story has to be told as all stories have to be told. The, the next question I had was, is this movie worthy of praise or hate? And I think the way to, the the way that I want to go through with this is, is with the Razzies that it's, that it won. And the one that, bothers me the most because like i said razzies have their place i usually always disagree with them this wins worst director there is no way you cannot say that this movie is not directed well this movie is beautiful looking it's crisp the the all the dance choreography is fantastic it really is it's colorful (laughs) everything's in focus like this is not a bad looking movie and and Paul Verhoeven is like one of the most acclaimed directors of all time, like an influence to so many people. What I, I this is what blows my mind. It seems like people just saw this and were like, "This was a bad movie. I didn't like it for whatever reason." So it needs to just get shut down in every category. But this movie's directed perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the movie's really great. I mean, I really enjoy the movie. Um... I feel like there's something else I was about to say that may or may not have been kind of important. You'll think of it. You'll, it happens. Yeah, I'll, it happens. I'll think of it. I'll think of it. You keep going. <laughs> um, this, of course, we talked about Elizabeth Berkley. This had no reason to win. She had no reason to win Worst Actress. Uh, she had no reason to win Worst New Star. Um, worst Original Song? Uh, this was what, one I had to look up because I was like, what is the original song? Is it the Goddess song? It's actually the song that's being sung at the party at the end. You know, like when when um, Molly goes up to the room with Andrew Carver before the rape scene, and like Nomi and Zach start dancing. There's like a wide shot of the party, and there's like a singer, and she's like, "When you walk to the wind," or something like that. That's apparently the original song. Should we walk into the wind? Maybe fall when I'm fall. Let's. Walk into the wind. You have to learn to touch. I touch you. Touch me, touch 
I didn't go listen to it. I was like, I'm sure it's fine, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm going to go watch it like three or four times now and, uh, yeah, really dig deep into it. Yeah, just another one that they threw out. Worst original song, sure. Um, worst screenplay? I I don't think that. I think, if anything, you know, the screenplay is what gets us more at the uh, the structure of the movie and, you know, not the specific choreography of the dance scenes, but, you know, as we go through the story... Um, and things like that. And I think this is – this story is structured fine. I know we talked about a little bit the other day, Heather, that there, it is a little weird that, you know, most of this movie takes place in the last 30 to 40 minutes. Like it's a lot of setup. At yeah. The, and But, you know, I'm I'm also okay with that. It's all kind of just the it, – it's like a swimming pool, you know. It's like the shallow end has a really gradual slope, and then the deep end you just drop into it. And <laughs> And you need – I'm okay with that. You know, you need that setup – just so you can be thrown into the deep end and have all this information dumped on you and you're, you're actually like, okay, I, I care about it now. You're like, this makes some sense to me. Like you were saying, we just get, like the last five minutes, it's like, boom, this is her history. And it makes you go, oh, that makes me think differently about the things I saw previously. Yes. Especially about the whole, like how she reacted to her, to them saying that she looked like a Pollyanna. Oh, yes. That is one and of it's the like, best oh, wait, subtle that's her touches. real name. Yeah. I love that because, yeah, Tony Moss is like, you look like a Pollyanna. And she's like, what? What did you call me? And he goes, you look like a Pollyanna. And she immediately runs to, like, the, the makeup mirror and just starts shoveling makeup on her face. Yes. And it's just like – and at, if when that happens, it's like what? Like, a Pollyanna is just, like, a very optimistic, like, person, girl. Like, why, yeah. is, why is she upset by that? Wouldn't well, that be a good in quality? in that scene, she was the only person wearing pants – so she had to go and take off her clothes. Oh, yeah, that's she has to get very undressed. Yes, <laughs> she has to get very like she she showed up. It was like a belly top with like high rise pants, but it was pants like the most clothes she's been the entire movie. And then <laughs> yeah, she, she walks into she this audition, say, uh, full of like a people. fancy audition. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and then everybody's just you know naked. Um, I think that and- that scene in particular is one that audition scene. Is definitely an example of, of course, the one I quoted at the start of this episode when Tony Moss introduces himself. But the scene continues. That is an offensive scene because the character is just so over-the-top offensive. Because, you know, like he said, he's like, come on, ladies, spread out, let me see ya. And then he goes to each of them individually and has something very derisive to say, like, you look familiar. Yes, Mr. Moss, you told me to come back when my nose got fixed. The nose looks good, but the ears are sticking out. Come back when you get them fixed. He, he says to the one girl, I bet you can't spell MGM backwards. Uh-huh. And she goes, MGM? And he goes, I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then he says, he tells the other girl, he calls her a tennis ball and says that he hopes she gets some good wigs. Oh, yes. He's like, oh, yeah, tennis. He says to another one, come back when you fuck some of that baby fat off. Yes. Like, like oh, my God. Like, yes, those are very offensive things to say to a woman, especially when they're auditioning for a dance and they haven't even danced yet. But that, like we were saying, that's the point of his character. Exactly. That's the point and then of the movie. Nomi's a fucking badass and she comes out here and she's like, I'm watching you be a prick. Oh, yes. Because <laughs> everybody else just like takes it and she's the only one who calls him out and she's like, yo, 
you're being a prick. Jesus Christ. Marty, take a look at these tits. What are these, watermelons? This is a stage, babe. It's not a patch. See ya. I've seen you before. Yes, Mr. Moss, I auditioned for you in January. You told me to get my nose fixed. Nose looks good. Thank you, Mr. Moss. Nice smile, too. Thank you, Mr. Moss. You know what, though? Your ears are sticking out. They are. Come back and see me when you get them fixed. See ya. Can you spell MGM backwards? I bet you can't. MGM. I'm impressed. Come back when you fuck some of this baby fat off. See ya. I hope you got some nice wigs, tennis ball. I do. What kind of classes have you had? Ice skating classes, Mr. Moss. Ballet classes, technique classes, stretch classes, jazz classes, jazz technique classes. This show is called Goddess. It ain't called classes. See ya. What kind of classes have you had? I haven't had classes. Then what are you doing here? I'm watching you be a prick. <sighs> well, you ain't seen nothing yet. And then um, after she actually gets it, he says, hey, don't let anybody know that I'm, you know, like, this is my facade, that I am this prick. Like, don't let anybody know that, like, I had to work really hard for this reputation. Yeah, yeah, don't let them know they can actually stand up to me. Yeah, Ex yeah exactly. So I think that, in of it, like, that, how is that offensive? Exactly. I mean, yes, you're seeing things that are very distasteful, but... It's it's not like the movie just takes a random turn and start starts like be, having a very dickish character. Like everybody's a dick in this movie. It's a dick from the like the minute she meets the dude with the mullet in the truck. Like she mm -hmm. has to pull a knife on him, and she's just this badass who sticks up to the man. And I think it's really great. I think it's great that she's able to, you know, feel comfortable about telling on the person who tried to sell her out as a prostitute. Yep. Um, yeah, no, I think she's a badass. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And even though she's had to sell her body, like, she doesn't, she doesn't pride herself in selling her body, and she wants more out of her life, and I think that's really important. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so yeah, it, it's, it, the movie is designed to have offensive content. I think that's the, that's the big distinction, for sure. Uh, one of the uh, going along or back to the question, what is this movie worthy of praise or hate? Um, I, I guess we do have to mention. Um, well, the one, the other one I didn't get to, worst picture. I I definitely don't think this was the worst picture, the worst film of 1995. Um, I didn't write down what else it was up against. I also feel like they didn't really show you Vegas that much. Like they show you the everyday life of what it's like to live in Vegas, but they don't show the iconic Las Vegas, you know, scenery. Oh, um, that's a, that's a pretty good point. It is very insulated to just know me and around her. Yeah. And just what she experiences on a day-to-day -day basis and, you know, like the back alleys and the trailer park and, um, you know, like the dressing rooms and, but it's never the, the iconic, like, the water show, or... that I've been to Vegas twice, and I hated it, but... Yep, you I never, you never see... The only thing yeah. we get at the beginning is, like, the slots, and then pretty much everything else takes place in somebody's apartment, mm -hmm. or uh, the strip club, or the Stardust Hotel, at the stage of it, even. Yeah, it's like, okay, this is how people in Vegas make a living... This is how people in Vegas live. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Where other movies that take place in Vegas, they 
they like you know traumatize things. Yeah, they, they make sure they get all the big set pieces in there. Like I'm thinking of like Ocean's Eleven, where you know like the whole last bit of that movie, like the goodbye scene, takes place at the fountain. Um, in, and like there's so much stuff that they show off. Yeah, and this movie doesn't do that. This movie is very character driven. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it's a great movie. <laughs> so Showgirls won Worst Picture. Uh, it beat out uh, Congo, which I don't know what that is. Uh, okay. Uh, it beat out It's Pat. I don't know what that is either. Oh, it's a Saturday Night Live movie based on a character, Pat, who I don't know. Okay. Uh, it beat out the film adaptation of The Scarlet Letter, which I've never seen, but I know the story. Uh-huh. And it beat out Waterworld, Kevin Costner's Waterworld, which is still to this day considered a legitimately terrible movie. Like, no one's come back and said Waterworld was a good movie. Yeah, and yet it won more Razzies <sighs> than Waterworld. I did not know it beat Waterworld. Waterworld is like... That's that's like one of my they the whole point of Waterworld is like the world is covered in water and like dry land has become this thing of legend and it's like the story about finding the promised land of dry land. I think that's an oversimplification, but that's the gist of it. But the, there's a great story behind that movie because since the whole thing was shot on water, they needed to build sets on water. And then what would happen is they would, like, build the sets and they'd shoot for a few days and then the next day they'd come back just to find that all their sets have sunk. And they oh. had to keep rebuilding sets to finish this movie. <laughs> that sounds very expensive. Oh, yeah, I think it I think it was one of the most expensive um, movies at the time. And, yeah, I think something like 200, 175 to 200 million where Showgirls was, you know, 45 million. And I cannot believe that Showgirls was worst picture compared to Waterworld. That's insane. That is insane to me, Heather. I know, that's that's ridiculous. Show, yeah, I think that Showgirls being rated so poorly just kind of sheds light on how oppressed women have been and how women telling their stories isn't valued. Yeah, like I was saying earlier, I, I feel like people got lost in the, the overt sexuality of it and not the actual message it was portraying. Yeah. So I think we mentioned it before, but I we do have to... The the one Razzie at one that I do agree with is the worst on-screen couple. And, uh, of course, that couple was Nomi and Zach. And I think it, this, this whole thing just gets... This Razzie was one for that sex scene in the pool. And that that it is was well deserved oh oh yeah very so. well deserved first of all i hated his hair the entire oh. movie his, it was always covering his eye it was like he was trying to be emo but not yes. like i just wanted to like push it back like dude you have a cowlick just like work with it and it just was blinding him the entire movie yeah it made anyway. me think of what's who's that dude from fallout boy Pete Wentz. Ah. Pete Wentz. Doesn't he have the same haircut where, like, the, I don't know. the black hair is, like, just over one side of his face? Or he had that haircut back in, like, the mid-2000s or something like that? Yeah, like, I just wanted to, like, bobby pin it back <laughs> for him and just be like, stay right there. Like, it just, was really... Just run up to him and just, like, cut that side of his hair off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And usually when people have that haircut that's, like, in their eye, they do the whole, like head flip like cricking yes. your neck kind of thing he didn't really do that in the movie and that also bothered me 
Yeah, he just he just let it let <laughs> it hang there. Let it. Oh my god, it really bothered me. Yeah, Anyways. I I definitely did not like his haircut either. Of course, I I love Kyle MacLachlan. I I knew him before seeing this movie. And many people did because it was 90, 1990, 1991 when he played Special Agent Dale Cooper on the first two seasons of Twin Peaks, which when Showgirls came out was all of Twin Peaks. And he's an FBI agent, like clean cut, very chipper, like very upbeat, and it's a completely different character from him in this movie. Um, Even though his hair was not good, I still liked him in this movie. But I did like him. It was just sexy. the hair. That's that's my cosmetologist side coming out. Everybody <laughs> yes. on the podcast, I'm the one who cuts Rob's hair. This is true. Just so everybody knows. I think it's been a while since it's been said, but this is true. <laughs> <laughs> I am the one who cuts Rob's hair. So I am allowed to get upset at Kyle McLaughlin's email haircut in this show, <laughs> in this movie. That just sounds like a famous literary quote. I am the one who cuts Rob's hair. <laughs> I have the power. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, that, so other than this hair, I think he was I, – I know him personally as an actor from Desperate Housewives. Yes. I know. I know. found he was the wife of – the, the wife, the husband Orson of Hodge, yeah, who yeah. did some like sketchy stuff. So that's how I know him. Um, I didn't ever see Twin Peaks. But I think his acting was really good. I think his character was interesting. I think – I wonder how long he sat on the secret of Nomi's past. Like, do you mm. know the point in the movie that he found that information out? I don't I don't think it's very long because, you know, when, when Nomi gets the part for the understudy, because it's the night after they sleep together, and, and Kyle McLaughlin's like, she's got heat, you know, she could do it. And then at the end of that scene... He says he goes. I think he goes to Tony Moss or one of the other people in the in the administrative team, and he's like, "What do we know about her?" And Tony Moss says something like, "Not much. We don't even think she gave us the right social security number." And then Kyle McLaughlin's like, "Find out everything." And so that that's when he wants to get the information. And then when when Nomi's in the hospital at the end, um, because Molly is in the hospital after getting raped, I think I'm pretty sure there's a quick scene where you see like Tony Moss. And Kyle McLaughlin talking, and they have the folder, and Tony Moss is, like, pointing things out. I, I've always taken it as, like, when he drops that information on her, it's, like, almost as soon as he knows it as well. Because that's also the same time where Nomi's like, I'm going to call the police about this. And he's like, you can't, and I'm going to blackmail you because of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I don't, yeah. If, if it's not, like, exactly then, it's definitely, like, pretty pretty close to that that night of the party. So he didn't sleep with her knowing that... She was not only a fish out of water, but she was also uh, not disclosing the right social security number. Yeah, I, I think they just had sex because she has heat. <laughs> yeah, she's got heat. And she and she did, of course, we have to say, before she flopped around in the pool while actually having sex with him, she flopped around while dry humping him at Cheetah's earlier in the movie. Yeah, what a weird sex move to go to. <laughs> yes. I wonder if it works. <laughs> I don't know. You need some like incredible dexterity in the, in the pool. I get that. You got some resistance. You could probably like you know you're just kind of swimming while you do it. But when she does it in the lap dance room, I'm like, oh my god! Like she's gonna break her neck. She's gonna get whiplash or something. She's gonna fall down. <laughs> yeah. So I was worried about that there, but in the pool, I was more worried about Kyle McLaughlin's penis. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, if she's like 
flopping around like that. What the fuck is his penis doing? Like, that poor <laughs> no, but... thing is probably just getting whipped all over the place, like, bent back and forth. I could see the I... slapstick, like, parody of this movie where whoever's playing Nomi is, like, starts doing that. And then Kyle MacLachlan's face, whoever's playing him, is just, like, in horror. And he's like, oh, my God, like, stop, stop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, in the pool, yeah, kind of, like, she just looked ridiculous. But my empathy was with his penis. Um, <laughs> in the club, my empathy was more with her um, uh, whiplash. Yes, yes, definitely. So... <laughs> Oh god. So yeah, I I don't think I think both of these. I guess the one in the pool is the true sex scene. Um, we we do have a great affinity uh, on cinemodities for unsexy sex scenes. And while this one does not rank near the top of what we've seen already, um, because at the end of last month, I don't think Heather has seen it, but there's a movie called I Heart Huckabees where people are having sex while they're like rubbing like mud and like dunking each other's heads into like dirty water and stuff, and it's great. Unsexy sex scene. <laughs> but this one this one ranks I think this one uh, goes on the list as well. Uh we got Elizabeth Berkeley and Kyle McLaughlin have an incredibly unsexy sex scene. <laughs> that it was very unsexy. The one in the club wasn't so bad. The one in the pool was terrible. Oh yeah. And I think the one in the club is a little it earns a little bit more because it has the context of um Crystal Connors as like trying to buy Nomi and control her because she works at the at the strip club. And then there's a lot of eye contact during that lamp dance between the two women as well. Yeah. Also, I think the the fact that it's kind of in Nomi's hands in that situation. Like, yeah, yeah. she's getting paid to do it, but also, like, like, she's doing it to impress and not just to, like, you know, satisfy herself so much, but more to, like, satisfy those around her, I think was... Um, kind of the difference in that too sure sure absolutely and 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 of course james is watching her give that lap dance as well (laughs) most of it yeah yeah oh yeah he gets kicked out and and which is weird like where was the bouncer and why do you only have a beaded curtain (laughs) oh yeah that's a good point that seems like very (laughs) on private for the private dance room yeah i'm like so what anybody can sneak back there Yeah, the bouncers probably just watch it, you know? They probably just stand in front of the beads. (laughs) Exactly, right? Like, the bouncer was probably going to get some tissue when he (laughs) caught James walking up to the beaded curtain. Like, (laughs) Oh, that's good. That's good. (laughs) So, So, yeah. Yeah, so I I think, once again, I'm glad we're in agreement. This movie is worthy of praise. Um I I get if you watch this movie and you don't like it, you're a little put off by some of the content in it. But that is not to say that you know it's just a bad movie. I think from a lot of directives of uh, directions, it is it is good. It's enjoyable. It's it's a Paul Verhoeven movie. It's a great story. Um, it has a lot of great beats in it, and I think that leads us to the question, which uh, I think that you know is is the one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this series and this movie in this day and age. Like this movie is. I'm going to pose that this movie is now culturally significant. Like, sure, mistreatment of women in Hollywood and and show business has been going on forever. Like, even back to, like, you know, the story of... The beginning of show business. Yeah, you know, like the the 1930s... gypsies on a wagon. Sure, I was going to say, like, the 1930s Judy Garland stuff, but even before then, you know? (laughs) As long as there have been, you know, some, some path to fame, people have corrupted that. 
But, you know, this was 1995. Of course, it's not about Hollywood. Uh, as we as mentioned, Heather mentioned her conspiracy thought, which is a good one. But th- <laughs> this this is just like exactly what we're hearing in the news today. And it's not just the women aspect. It's the whole corruption of of everything that's going to make people money. Yes. So this this falls into a very special category of like things that are are telling it like it is. And you know I love I love real. I love telling people like it is. That's my favorite. <laughs> um. <laughs> Before or after you push them down the stairs. Uh Or while they're falling. Both? All, all of the <laughs> all above. Of I'm going to go with D. All of the above. <laughs> Just constant screaming and then they're like, "What are you saying?" and then they get pushed and then <laughs> Exactly. So yeah, I, I think this movie is is um, it definitely pains me that this movie gets such a bad rap. Or it's coming around, like I said, but I think there's some some people that still have issues with it. Um, but it's not something that should be like scrubbed off the face of the earth. You know, like like this is not an R. Kelly status thing. And even though I know I've said you know even though R. Kelly is a terrible person, I don't think I've his- seen R. Kelly live. Oh, there have you I go. ever told you that? I don't. I don't think so. He showed up. He he made his grand debut in a fire truck in like one of those little buckets. Oh, okay. On like the lift. Yeah, yeah he yeah. did that. It was at Bonnaroo, and then he peed on all of us. <laughs> oh god! I'm kidding. He didn't do that, but that would be cool if he did. So this was what last year? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was like 2013, maybe. Oh, oh wow. Okay, but yeah, uh, I mean, you know, like R, like R. Kelly is i've definitely said before like from everything we know about him he is definitely like a terrible person but you know i i definitely think some of the stuff he says and has done should be you know removed canceled at least but that does not mean that no one in the world ever again should you know not listen to i i believe i can fly like that song will always exist whether or not we hate r kelly and this movie i think some people back in 95 and maybe even now they put this into the same category where they're like, this is so offensive it needs to be like stricken and considered the worst thing ever. And there's just I, – I see no argument for that whatsoever. Yeah, I feel like the 1990s – so you know in the 1950s how America went through this like idealistic time period of no wars and then the men were home and then they would work and then the women were yep. like these housewives. I feel like the 1990s were like – a smaller version of that where okay the 80s like war on drugs like sorry housewives you can't do cocaine anymore like you're still gonna have your kids but also there's Ah. like technology and you gotta like reel in your husbands and um i think it's kind of that like like kind of a 1950s feel that's that's the 1990s that's interesting because you know i was thinking i think that's a, a an extension of what i was thinking of you know the the sexuality that we know in media today is way more extreme than what it was in the 90s. And sure, there was sexuality in media, um, and you know it makes me think of like the, there's a lot of big movies from the 90s that are were sexually charged, but they weren't to this extent. Um, like, and I think that's kind of the, the similar thing is that you know back in the 50s, imagine you know that was like when what when married couples slept in separate beds and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> And and then we got we came a little ways to get to the 1990s, but it was still kind of that resurgence of you know we just want to get back to those ideals. That's that's interesting. That would be a a whole nother episode on the um, the, the anthropology yeah. anthropological study of the 90s. 
<laughs> but I mean, like, I'm thinking, like, imagine if if Showgirls came out in this day and age. Like, maybe not even, you know, 2020, late, you know, 20 teens, but maybe in, like, the late 2000s when raunchiness was a lot more accepted. This would not be... One, I don't know if this would even get an NC-17 rating. I think in today's standards, this might even qualify for an R. Um, yeah. But... But I, I mean, think... all you have to do is say the F word three times and it's an R, <laughs> yes, right? Yeah, exactly. I don't even think they reached that. Like, this might be a PG-13. And it's it's just – it's it's kind of – it's a different time. And, you know, I think it's uh... – Like, this is nothing compared to what – I mean, not necessarily in Hollywood, but I mean just what – I mean, how much porn do people watch versus how much – movie they watch yeah <laughs> like yeah and like is I, that like a 50 50 thing like i even think that the message of the of the corruption and the you know the chewed up and spit out aspect of the women in this movie people would be able to people would see that more quickly today because i think that's what people you know are expecting not expecting but are more apt to see in in this these types of stories yes yeah but i feel like the fact that it took place like during 1995 and it's not a film that was filmed in 2020 dating back to 1995. Um, could you imagine showgirls being made now in 2020, but taking place in 1995, how much different? Oh yeah. Absolutely. It would have been filmed and stuff. Um, I, so... I love, I love that idea. I just, whenever that happens, I always imagine the people making those movies where they're like, you know, how do we how do we not put a cell phone in these shots? You know, how do we not put an iPhone in these shots? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, instead, it's like, oh, your boss called the house phone and was wondering where you were, but it turns out you were in jail all night. <laughs> you know, oh, like that yeah. would never happen in today's day and age. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm so remember, like they have their little. Nomi and Molly have their little like trailer apartment and there's a landline in it. It's like a little day bed. And, yeah. <laughs> and there's yeah. one scene where Molly's like, oh, somebody called and left you a message. You got to call back. And she's like, I'll call for you. And there's like the whole dial uh, dial pad and everything. <laughs> exactly. It makes it feel so much more authentic and genuine having been made in 1995 versus yes. if you were to try to make it now based in 1995. So I'm really glad that they did it. I feel like they kind of foresaw the Me Too movement. And, um, yeah, yeah, it's, I it's think definitely it's ahead of its time in, in a lot of ways, like, especially with the, like we said before, the more subtle, like everybody is in conflict, you know, except for really like the people at the very top, you know, it's like th that trickles down to where like all these dancers vying for position are all in conflict within their groups, between their groups, even with the monkeys, you know, who are shitting on the stage and stuff like that. And yeah, it's, it's just, it's a great timeless, well, hopefully it won't be timeless forever, but from 1995 till now, it is still timeless. Yeah, hopefully it's not timeless forever. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, so good. I'm glad we're in agreeance. Um, that is always good to see, and uh, I think it lends some credibility. Um, I don't know what the, the Me Too or the feminists movement will say about this, Heather. Maybe they'll say, oh... Cinemati's finally had a woman on and we respect her opinion or maybe they'll hate you. <laughs> I mean, do I really care what other people think? Now that's what I like to hear. <laughs> I'm going to say no, but you know, secretly Rob, I'm going to cry to you. So, uh, you know, internet be nice. Yes. I don't know. I don't even know if feminists would listen to this podcast. So <laughs> who, who knows? <laughs> 
All uh, right. So, so those are my big. Th- any any other meta things you want to talk about with this movie before we jump into some more specifics where I can talk about references I know you won't understand, which is going to be great. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um. Mm. I don't know. Let me come back to that. Let me think on it. Oh sure. You throw me. You throw me a few more bones, and then I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm going to come back in. Okay. I, I have to talk about this because it is it is like a perfect storm of uh, connections between unconnected things. Um, the start of the movie, when she's at the slot machines, and, you know, she's off by herself, and she's playing the slot machines, and she um she wins at that one slot machine. Like, it pays out a bunch of coins. One, I love the way that she gets so excited, and she, like, embodies Scrooge McDuck for a few seconds where she's just like throwing the coins into the air around her face. <laughs> I like that reference, Scrooge McDuck. Yeah, that's what, that's uh, just <laughs> if she could have, she would have like took a dive into that slot machine. <laughs> yeah. And then the bartender, or the waitress comes over and she's like, do you want to try a silver dollar? Oh yeah. And oh, it's yeah. like, hey, you want to swim in some like bigger wealth? <laughs> and it's like, dude, this chick was happy swimming in her pile of pennies. Why did you have to come over and taunt her with a silver dollar? Goddamn and, Vegas uh, people. <laughs> I know, right? So, so I had, I had, I had that thought. I just love the comical way she's like, <laughs> throwing the coins up in the air. But when she wins the slot machine in Vegas. I every time I see this movie now, after seeing uh, Twin Peaks: The Return slash Twin Peaks season three, Zach's not here, so I can call it season three. Um, one of the starting points of that movie, if you if there's a big debate about whether it's a TV show or a movie, but one of the earlier parts of that is when Dougie Jones finds his way to Vegas or wakes up in Vegas. Um, Dougie Jones goes into a casino and he has the ability given to him by the Black Lodge to see which slot machines are going to pay out jackpots. So he gets like a, like a shitload of jackpots in a row. For context, because I know Heather is not aware, one, Dougie Jones is like almost completely mute and like contained. Like he is a shell of a person. Like imagine like an incredibly, someone who can barely talk, someone who can barely interact with people, but he can see lights above slot machines that give him he knows that they're going to pay out jackpots. What an awesome superpower. Dougie Jones, who who <laughs> okay. wins all these jackpots, and whenever he wins a jackpot, he says, in a very weird way, because he saw someone else do it, he goes, Bingo! Is played by Kyle McLaughlin, who plays Zack in this movie. Hello! So I love the connection that we have Kyle MacLachlan as Dougie Jones in this movie, kind of as the bad Dale Cooper, another character in Twin Peaks The Return, season three, also played by Kyle MacLachlan. Kyle MacLachlan plays three roles in Twin Peaks season three, just so you know. And um, we get a jackpot from Nomi Malone. It's perfect. It all makes sense, everybody. It all makes sense. (laughs) Um, And let me just tie in another reference. Uh... We were watching Naruto, and we just got to the part. I mean, of course, we watched the uh, subbed version, not the dubbed version. Sure. And uh, they get to the part where they go, bingo, buckle. Oh. 
<laughs> so uh, you saying bingo like that, even though I've never seen Twin Peaks, it brought me back to Naruto. So if you just wanted to throw another little twist in there. It's all coming together. <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming together. <laughs> so so I also want to talk about, I'm kind of going order through my notes. Um, I know we mentioned it when we were talking about this movie off mic and when I was rewatching this uh, bits and pieces like you did today and yesterday, I, what the hell did Nomi eat while she was playing slot machines that when she vomits after she realized her suitcase is gone, that it's black sludge. Like, exactly. That is, that is the like, least healthiest vomit I've ever seen. <laughs> like, like maybe she was taking Jaeger bombs and we just <laughs> didn't see it. Maybe it was just off camera. She's taking Jaeger bombs. Oh, um, it's so was gross. The waitress who was walking around, was she giving her drinks? I, I don't know. I don't remember her seeing her with any drinks or anything like that. I really don't think we see Nomi drink very much in the whole movie. No, not like a... not like we would see today in a movie. Oh yeah, thank like, you. What twenty twenty alcoholics? <laughs> she gets what? Like she has a glass of champagne at the party, a glass of champagne yeah. with Crystal Connors. If anything, the thing we know about Nomi is that she, I think she got more champagne dumped on her in the pool than <laughs> she consumed in the yes. entire movie. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Uh, the, I think the only thing we know about Nomi is that she just wants to eat chips. Like, she gets very excited about chips, like, two or three times and in this movie. cheeseburgers and fries. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, the, the drinking, not so much. She just wants to eat. <laughs> Which surprises me because she's super skinny and I'm jealous. But, um, anyways... I don't know what she ate to make her throw up black yeah, it's, sludge. It's the weirdest thing. And then and from the time under the movie, very shortly after that, she's eating like chicken and, and French fries, but she does get angry at them. So, <laughs> Oh my God. Okay. Just one more thing. So after she throws up black sludge, then she, you know, meets Molly oh, yes. and then she like meets Molly as a complete stranger and then just like gets up in her face and it's like, dude, you just vomited black sludge and now you're getting within like my foot diameter personal space. Oh, it yeah. was just really weird. I I would not allow that to happen to me. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly Molly's like, okay, something's up with this girl. Cause she's like <laughs> screaming about her suitcase. She just vomited. And then Molly's like, okay, I'm, I'm here, I guess to console you. And then Nomi is just like moves in there. Like, it's almost like she's going in for a kiss or something. Like, that must smell so bad. <laughs> I know! Yeah, no, I don't... I don't let my significant other in my personal space that much after vomiting. Like, I would never let a stranger in that Oh, much. yeah, yeah. It's just, just saying. That's why Molly must have been like, come on, like, you gotta get some food in you, <laughs> you know? Like, you gotta get, get that taste out of your mouth. <laughs> exactly. And that's when she had the freak out on the fries. Yes. And they, like, made it a point to show her with the ketchup bottle, which I'm pretty <laughs> sure was a glass ketchup bottle, too, right? Like, Yeah, she's, like, one. shaking it, yeah. Yeah, she's, like, shaking it, like, beating on it, whatever. And so she, like, ketchup comes out with a force if you do it like that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden she gets pissed off and throws her fries and ketchup <laughs> everywhere. And then there's no ketchup in any of the scenes to be seen. Like, there's no ketchup yeah. anywhere. Like, if I were to do that, I would have ketchup all over my face. It would be everywhere. And Nomi does it so gracefully and doesn't get ketchup anywhere. Yep, yep. Because where's she from? Back east. Where back east? Different places! <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Q, throwing french fries. Where are you from? Back east. 
for more backings. Different places. Oh yeah. Oh that yeah, that is such a it's such an interesting setup because the movie even before the slot machines, it starts so abruptly. Like the movie is just like, you know, it's a United it's an MGM movie, it's a United Artist movie, showgirls, and then boom, she's hitchhiking on the road, gets picked up. It's just like the movie just throws you into it. And then she loses her sluggage, she vomits, she finds a friend, and then six weeks later, she's a stripper. <laughs> exactly. I checked today, and when she was eating with Molly, I think it was like seven minutes into the movie. Yeah, it is It is brisk. They just throw it you is... right into it. Exactly. And I feel like the acting was maybe a little bit um, dramatic. Oh, yeah. In the first few scenes. I don't know how they filmed it, if they filmed it in like chronological order. Um, but I think the acting in the beginning was a little overdone, and then I feel like she kind of got a little more comfortable, maybe. Yeah, it's de- yeah. The beginning's definitely some of the goofiest parts, you know, especially with the uh, the guy that picks her up, where he's like, you know, you can sit a little closer, and she just whips out the uh, switchblade, and he's like, "Whoa, okay, it was a bad idea." <laughs> yeah, and he's got like that cleft chin, like the <laughs> like mullet thing, and yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah. The, the the beginning of the movie definitely just kind of you know, like it. It is it is over dramatic. It is it is goofy, but it does set the tone because you kind of expect like okay, every like this is what I'm in for type of thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, that's that. And then of course when we get the little time jump and she's she's a stripper. We well, she we're just told she's a stripper before we actually see her at the at Cheetahs the strip club. That's when you know she gets to go with Molly behind the scenes to the goddess. Um, she does the, uh, the, the jazz hand motion for the first time in the movie. We get some great little setup, which I love is that even in that first scene at the, behind the scenes there, there's stuff like they're talking about, like, you know, don't fall down the stairs, like hang onto the railing. Don't fall down the stairs. They set up some of that. Lots of foreshadowing. Yeah. yeah. Like everything's starting to get set up and, and, you know, um, then I think she doesn't go to work even that night. She goes to the club. That's where meet James. She kicks James in the groin and starts a fight, and she looks so happy that she causes a fight. <laughs> I mean, that would be pretty successful. If somebody told me I couldn't dance and that all I was doing was pleasing their dick, I would probably kick him oh. in the groin too. Yeah, I guess this is a better time than any talk about <laughs> James. James is he's he's not really likable. He's not a good dude, but he he in his own way is one of the only people other than Molly, that, like, actually supports Nomi to some extent. And sure, it might be just to get his dance off the stage, but he he really does seem to care about her to some extent, right? Like, I don't know why the word anti-villain is coming to mind when I think about James, but I kind of feel like he's, like, a bad guy, but, like, not With some redeemable qualities. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, he's, like, a bad guy with, like, a good heart. Yeah, because he does, when, after he watches uh, Nomi give the lap dance, he, like, goes to her trailer the next day, and he's, like, he was, like, you were fucking that dude, and she's, like, I wasn't fucking him, I was giving a lap dance, he's, like, no, you were fucking everybody in there, and he's saying weird stuff, like, you don't have to, he's, like, dancing isn't fucking, so he's trying to give her advice, but at the same time, somewhere in there, he throws in a line where he's, like, man, everybody got AIDS out here, and I'm, like, what? You got more natural talent when you dance than anybody I've ever seen. I've seen a lot of dancers. I studied in New York. Alvin Ailey. You burn when you dance. You said I couldn't. Oh, you gotta hold some of it in. You got some shit to learn dancing ain't fucking. What's that? More wisdom? 
I know that. No, you don't. You dance like when you fucked that guy last night. What guy? That guy with the chick. You took him in the back. I didn't fuck him. <laughs> yeah, you did. You fucked him and her. Are you following me around? I didn't fuck anybody. Look, I, was I saw you. Man, everybody got AIDS and shit. You know, what is it that you think you do? You fuck them without fucking them. That's what you do. Well, it ain't right. You got too much talent for it to be right. Get out of here! Bitch, I'm telling you the truth. I'm like, what, yeah. is, what does that have to do with anything? Yeah, like, you're <laughs> fucking with your clothes on, you might get AIDS. And it's like... <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's not how that works. Yeah, but... So he, he definitely, like, wants... He, he notices her talent, you know, kind of as the, the first one to do so before, you know, she gets into the goddess role and stuff like that. But it's just, it's weird in the way that he he goes about it, because I guess in the way that he says it, he's got a problem with pussy, and he always will. I have a problem with pussy. I always have, and I'm always gonna. But I meant what I said to you. Look, I'm not interested in your problems, okay? Oh my god, that, that was a very frustrating <laughs> sentence. <laughs> I, I was definitely, like, laughing hysterically. I think it's an earlier line of his where um, when when she goes to his, his place and you think they're going to hook up and they start dancing and he starts, like, you know, touching her and she's like, I'm on my period. He goes, yeah, right. And she goes, check and see. And he touches her and he goes, it's all right. I got towels. And I'm just like, oh, my God, that is the craziest thing to say to this right? woman who's just clearly ready to leave, like walking out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And she's like, you can fuck me when you love me. Well, the I have my period. Yeah, right. Check. See? It's alright, I got towels. You can fuck me when you love me. Oh, and yeah. I love that. I love that line from her. And it's like, yeah, that that was interesting. Um, I, I think he has a good arc in the movie, kind of. Not not with Penny. Like, his stuff with Penny is just like, you know, that that's sure. You know, he has a problem with pussy, and he gets pre Penny pregnant and then treats her terribly when you see them together. Um, she dances like a truck. Get me a beer, bitch. And it's just like, oh, my God. But it definitely seems like he learns something from Nomi. Because in one of those, like, when he bails her out of jail, she's just like, life sucks, like, shit happens. And he says something like, where'd you like, learn that, from t-shirts? A t-shirt? I was thinking earlier about a t-shirt design with this, just <laughs> oh, so you know. <laughs> at the end of the movie, when, when Nomi goes to see his dance, and then Nomi finds out that, you know, he's getting married to uh, Penny, and they're having a baby together— and he, James says something like, I'm going to go work at a grocery store my, my mom owns, so I'll get a discount on baby food or something like that. And then Nomi is just like, like good luck, James, because clearly, like, James has, you know, gone off on his own way. And then the last line that James has is he says something like, shit happens, life sucks, I'm a student of t-shirts. And he just looks so, he's, he finally realizes that he lost something because he's such an asshole. Yeah, it's, yeah. I, I enjoyed that moment. Yeah, so it's a it's a good thing for him to learn. He learned a hard lesson, but also at the same time he learned it from Nomi, who we've been saying is this you know this badass who's been able to actually influence these people 
in some positive way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm definitely interested to see what James has to do in Pennies from Heaven. <laughs> okay, all right. I need that. Let's watch it. Um, so one of my favorite interactions was after Nomi had made it big and Al and Mama came to visit her. Oh. Do you remember that after after the yes. show they came to visit her? And uh, I think Mama said something about, oh, you look good. Like, Al, doesn't she look good? And Al's like, yeah, she looks all right. And Mama says, come on, she looks better than a 10-inch dick, and you know it. <laughs> yes, yes. The light sleeper can sleep with a light on, and a hard sleeper sleep with a hard on? What do you call a tiger? A tiger's a big pussy that eats I can get shit on, but I don't like getting spit on. Hi. <laughs> Hiya. You look like shit. She looks better than a 10-inch dick, and you know it. So, you like it here? What do you think, she's gonna miss you? Yeah, why not? We miss her. She misses us like that lump on my twat I had taken off last oh, week. Jesus, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> saw the show. You were good. Thank you, Al. Real good. You take care, kid. Must be weird not having anybody come on you. That scene is so, it's so strange to me that Al is there, who's, I, I guess, like, not, maybe not the owner of the strip club, but, like, the head of all the strippers or something, and he's, like, trying to be heartwarming nice. and yeah. nice, and his last line is, it must feel good with no, it must feel weird with no one coming on you, and it's like, yeah. and it's I like, literally that's just his... wrote that down in my notes, like, <laughs> talk about that, like, you must miss getting jizzed on. And it's like that that's like a term of endearment to him. Like that's that's so weird. <laughs> oh, that was like one of my favorite interactions. I feel like that just had some of the most comedic lines in it. Like, oh, she looks better than a ten inch dick and you know it. Like <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Oh, okay. We have to we have to talk about Mama. One of She was the so great. I want characters. that dress. I want that dress so if you have if the anyone listening has not seen this movie it is a dress that is um what would that be not a not a halter top so strapless it's like a strapless but then it has like a little sleeve on the arm a little bit yeah yeah and so yeah. the the ability of this dress it seems like the wearer of the dress can like pump their arms together in like a um like if you put both your arms at a right angle and you do like a chest press like really quickly into in towards your chest, it will drop the breast coverings and reveal her boobs. It's like a little peekaboo show. Yeah. You just like like <laughs> put your arms in it, like squeezes your tits together, and all of a sudden they're popping out, and it makes this great noise. And you, and and it can undo, so you can like it's like opening and closing like blinds yeah. or something. Yeah, like as soon as you move your arms back, your tits go back. And this is worn by Mama who is an overweight older woman. Overweight and older 
both compared to all the other strippers in this place. <laughs> and here's the thing. This is why I love her character so much. Not only is she goofy in that sense that she has this dress and she looks so out of place, but she is apparently a regular act at Cheetah's, and she doesn't dance the way the other strippers dance. She puts on a vaudeville comedy <laughs> show and makes fun of the people in the crowd. And apparently, she makes fun of is, herself. Yes. <laughs> but it, she says she's like, she, she's doing her jokes, and she says something like, um, "What do you call that? What do you call that useless piece of skin around a twat? A woman." And then she's like <laughs> honking her boobs at the same time, and it's making all these goofy noises. <laughs> That's the part of this movie where I'm like, this is so strange. And I don't know what it's saying in the context of the rest of the movie, but it's amazing. And those few ladies out there, what you've all been waiting for, Henrietta, Queen of these wrinkles of fat. <laughs> Why, you never even find the thing. <laughs> I'd have to piss on you to give you a clue. <laughs> about like when the guy yells at her like oh you should pull your dress up and so when I first saw that it actually took me the first two times seeing it when he said pull your dress up I thought he meant pull your strapless dress up because nobody wants to see it and then the third time watching it I think I realized he meant pull your dress up so I can see what's underneath it yep. and that's what she goes off on you wouldn't know what to do with all these fat rolls. You wouldn't even know where to find it. I would have to piss on you just to give you a hint. Oh, yeah. It's it's so strange to me that in this universe that exists, but it's fantastic. Yeah. Even in the scene with Al that you, you we started with, when because like um what the the dance the choreography director like comes up she's like Nomi your mother's here and Nomi's like my mother and then and then the woman's like yeah that's what she says she is but for your sake I hope she's not and when Nomi goes out onto the stage of the Stardust to meet her like Mama's on the stage like doing jokes to nobody yeah like like she's pretending <laughs> to be performing and I'm like I love her I love her so much <laughs> oh god okay so another weird like. Maybe it's in the director realm. I'm not the biggest movie sure. guru. Um, so when What's-Her-Face, the chick with the long braids, throws the beads onto the other chick's, mm, like, mm -hmm. dude's leg, and she fell over and hurt her knee, like, in that moment that it's happening, the show is still going on around her, but, like, you're thinking that she, they're going to pull her off stage, and then all of a sudden it cuts to, like, an empty audience, and she's still in the same place. Yes. And it's kind of like, is the show business abusing their dancers so much that they wouldn't move them off stage before the crowd exited? <laughs> or 
Yeah, that that scene definitely has has confused me as well. And that's always a thing where like it, it does seem like when those beads get thrown, it seems like that is a a performance. Like there's an actual audience, but then of course it's empty when they're checking her out. Um, I'm not sure about that as well. Maybe there's some clue that it's like the audience is like a um, like more. Oh people no, I. Th- it looks I like think yeah, the audience it, was real. It looks I'm like pretty a full sure show. it was real. Yeah, no, I yeah, yeah I, I agree with that. I but yeah, that's always confused me. Um I like that explanation though, that you know, this woman is writhing in pain on the ground and the show just moves on and dances yeah. around her until it ends. <laughs> exactly. Like they didn't stop to help get her off stage or anything. Yeah. It was just yeah. Yeah. The next time I see this, maybe uh, that'll I I'll look pay more attention. Or we can hope that it is fully explained in Showgirls 2. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, what else are sequels for? Yes, giving us all the answers. <laughs> so, yeah, that that was definitely weird. And and I do I do like that the, the, the uh, dancer who throws the beads is the one that covers for Nomi when she pushes Crystal down the stairs. Yeah, it's kind of like this, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Yeah, like, she cause... probably knew that Nomi saw her do that, and Nomi never tattled. Yep, and then at that even point, at Nomi the... wasn't really in the situation mm. to be able to to tattle. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know. And, and then even at the party, after she becomes the star, um, I think it's even before Andrew Carver shows up. It's before Molly shows up. That same dancer is like, "Nomi, you were great. Maybe I can be your understudy." It's like they both know what's going on. Yeah. Yes. Oh exactly. yeah, that's that. As long as Nomi doesn't make her kids cry by saying the f word, then they're good. They'll be friends. <laughs> oh God, kids, grow up. No. Yeah, you can you can see breasts, but you can't hear the f word. Like, come on. <laughs> so another thing I think is interesting is how they kind of dropped the whole idea of the Andrew Carver character, like how originally Molly and Nomi saw him on a bus stop. Oh yeah, when they, when they're like, oh, he's coming to Vegas. Like we got to see him. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And then how um, it was Crystal's first night on the Goddess. I'm a, I, I'm pretty sure it was her first night. And Andrew Carver sent her flowers. And Molly mm-hmm. says, "Oh, did Andrew Carver send these roses?" And Crystal says, "If that's what the card says, then yeah." And I feel like they're just kind of trying to divert from building up his character. Uh, Like the people who actually know him, like Crystal. And then before the whole fish out of water flopping around in the pool scene, Nomi asked Zach about Andrew Carver because she saw a picture. And Zach immediately changes the subject and asks her if she's nervous. Yes, it it comes up. it, it, It comes up a lot, but it is always very subtle. Because, yeah, because I know even in like even before anybody says the name Andrew Carver, like in that first shot of the inside of um, Nomi and Molly's trailer slash apartment, there are Andrew Carver posters. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, so he's he's like everywhere in this movie. But yeah, so and then it's subtly. like you meet your idol, your idol, and then all of a sudden he rapes you. Oh, he's the and even before <laughs> uh, with with the thing with Molly. Um, you know, and, uh, he's talking to Nomi and Nomi's like, I love your songs. And he's like, I love your ass. So call me. And it's like, so clearly he's just like a, a sleazeball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe Nomi let Molly go with him. I, yeah. That's, that's the thing where it's kind of like, you know, I, in, in her character, like I, I, I like what the movie's setting up because 
I guess, I guess we gotta do it, Heather. We gotta talk about the rape scene, which is very uncomfortable. <laughs> Ooh, it's okay. I have a way of making things more uncomfortable than they should be. Great. So, so yeah. this, I, I think what the, the movie is setting up is very interesting because, you know, Nomi has found the success and I think she just wants this kind of same level of happiness slash success for her friend. And I think in some maybe naivete, which you shouldn't really have, but maybe some type of more optimism is that she's like, oh, I'll, I'll set up Molly with Andrew Carver, who she's loved the whole movie, and everything will be fine. She might get a boost like I got a boost because I met all these people and stuff this like that. This was also when Molly was mad at Nomi because Molly knew that Nomi yes. pushed Crystal down the stairs. And that's that's the one I – would, I would definitely contend that Molly is the only like true good character in this movie. Yes. But that is the one little flaw in her goodness is that she's able she's to forego with that Andrew Carver. to meet Andrew Carver. Exactly. Because she yeah. shows up to the party and Nomi's like, I'm so glad you could make it. And she's like, I only want to know one thing, Nomi. Where's Andrew Carver? And so that's that one little flaw, but that's not bad. You know, that, that I'm, that's a very normal human thing to do. And I think Nomi saying like, you know, being – kind of blinded by the optimism for her friend to be like, oh, yeah, you know, they'll they'll hook up, they'll have a good time, maybe it'll boost um, uh, Molly's uh, status or whatever like that. Yeah, but, like maybe he just made that ass comment because I was just dancing true. 90% just, naked on he stage. He just saw me completely nude for most of the yeah. performance. Um, but I, I think that the, the movie does a really interesting kind of, you know, that, that theme of, because Molly goes up with Andrew Carver, and they're having, like, a decent time. Like, they both seem to be into it, and then Andrew Carver just completely switches, and his goons come in, and they're, like, just in rape mode. And when they start, like, one, we have to say, Andrew Carver slaps her and then punches her square in the face— which I'm makes pretty sure scene... there was some ass slapping too, oh. like very loud ass slapping. The the punch in the face and the incredibly aggressive ass slapping is legitimately like unnerving to me. Yes, yeah. like like mm -hmm. they they really hit that. Like that is a very very disturbing scene. But it was it... up there with like thirteen reasons why suicide scene. Oh yeah, where you're actually like, wow, they did this in such a way that it makes me feel. Under, like, I'm under, actually, yes, I'm like, under. living through this suicide or through this rape. Like, it was yeah. very... And and so we get that start of the rape scene, and it cuts in the middle to uh, Kyle MacLachlan and uh, Nomi. They're dancing, and I think they're, they're having a really nice moment, and, like, they kiss and as they're slow dancing, and then it cuts back to the rape, and... Then, then it kind of when it cuts back from the the second half of the rape scene, that's when you know they're about to leave, and and Nomi sees Molly, and they go off to the you know continue the plot. But I I, I really like the idea where it's like Nomi in some extent, whether she knows it or not, and she doesn't really know it till the blackmail at the when she gets confronted with her past. She technically has been raped by this industry to some extent. And she just feels better about it because it's happened in this different, more emotional way than it is right now in this physical way for Molly. And I kind of like that juxtaposition, even though it is so difficult to watch. Yeah. It was really hard to watch, but I mean, that shit really happens. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> and it sucks that it happens to, like, the most wholesome, naive character in the entire movie. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's also just like we were saying before, that this is offensive content you know, the one truly good character that we have 
gets arguably the worst thing done to her in the whole movie. Yeah, and it's like that's what you get for trying to penetrate the show business realm. Yep, exactly. And like then even you're... after when when um Kyle McLaughlin is like, you can't call the cops. We'll blackmail you. You have all this stuff against you. You're on the run. You know, no one knows your real name except us now. And then. Nomi says something like, well, what about Molly? And Kyle McLaughlin just immediately is like, if you like her, we'll give her money. She'll get her own dress shop. And it's just like, oh, my God. Like, he really knows that he has all the control here. And it's just – it's so skeevy. It, Yeah, it really is. And then I love that Nomi takes it upon herself to be like, okay, the only thing that is in my control is to use my sexuality – to infiltrate his guards and beat the shit out of him. Oh yeah, and, and I, I, love I do like that. that she beats him up like with some dance moves, like she's spinning around and stuff while she's kicking him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Elizabeth Berkeley definitely had some professional dance training. Oh yeah, that that whole that whole when she beats him up and gets the comeuppance, I love that scene. That's so good. And then when she leaves, it's great because she's like. He just wants to sleep. And the guards are like, oh, you tired him out. And she's like, mm-hmm, and just leaves. Like, nothing happened. It's awesome. Yeah, and then next scene, she's just, like, poor Molly. Molly must wake up and realize that Nomi's gone. Like, oh, did Nomi tell me that she kicked his ass? Was that a dream? Yeah. I don't know. I was under, you know. Yep. And, <laughs> uh, and of course, after she says goodbye to Molly, she uh, she makes out with Crystal Connors uh, we, we do get a, a we do get a really really good line when she goes to see Crystal Connors in the hospital and Nomi is like why didn't you say anything like because you know I pushed you and Crystal Connors like says some stuff like oh they got me a big settlement you know so I needed a break but she also says she says how did you think I got my big break in this in the first she's like there's always someone younger and exactly. hungrier coming down the stairs and I'm like yeah I'm like that's I'm sorry Crystal yeah. I know just how sorry you are. How do you think I got my first lead? There's always someone younger and hungrier coming down the stairs after you. That's awesome. I'm like, that's like the almost the whole message of this movie right there is that everybody's fighting because of this system they've created. And it's just exactly. going to keep happening. And I think an another thing that uh, makes me think of that is uh, the the kind of the the cycle that this movie goes through is that when that first night that uh we see crystal perform and nomi's there you get that scene with um justin shut the fuck up are you are you doing cinemodities the podcast i just like to say i'm the biggest fan and one day i'd like to flash rob if he's if he's available to see my titties hi hi this is your biggest fan hi hi I love you guys. Is this Zach and Rob? Justin. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Anyways. But uh, so that first night when we see Crystal Connors perform and Nomi's there at like the after party, that like old dude with the white hair, he's saying something. He's like, we could have had anybody for this. Blah, 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 blah. But Crystal Connors is a star. And. They're like, you know, she's like, I just hope I can live up to the show. And he's like, you are the show. We could have brought anyone into this show. Latoya, Suzanne, you name it. We wanted Crystal. 
Crystal Connors defines what Las Vegas is all about. She's dazzling, she's exciting, and she's very, very sexy. How does it feel to be back in what Vegas? What about Broadway? Miss Connors, how did you feel about the show tonight? I think it's the best show I've ever been in. I only hope I can do it justice. You did, here, my Crystal. dear, and you will. We're very thrilled to have you here with us. And then the first night after Nomi performs, the dude says, like, the same exact thing. Oh, I didn't notice that. And I think the people he, he lists change, but he's like, you know, we could have had uh, Janet Jackson. We could have had Paula Abdul. Instead, we got <laughs> no, Nomi Malone. And, and it's like, what do you think about being in Goddess? And she's like, I just hope I can live up to the show. And he's like, you are the show. We could have brought anyone into this show. Janet Jackson, Paula Abdul. Nomi Malone is what Las Vegas is all about. She's dazzling, she's exciting, and very, very sexy. Thank you, Zach. Miss Malone, how did you feel about the show tonight? I just hope that I can be as good as the show. You are, my dear. You are the show. Miss Malone, please. Come on, come on. Over here, now. And it's almost, like, identical. And it's just, like... This is the cycle that that these people are a part of. Like the her, the star, the women, the the dancers, all of them, the monkeys, the the audience, even you know, because it seems like Goddess has been going on, maybe not with the same people, but for a long, long time on the Vegas Strip. Yeah, I think it's interesting to um, Nomi and Crystal's relationship. Like, I can never quite figure it out about what crystal wants from her like crystal kind of likes her but kind of also is like mean girl sabotaging her the whole time yeah and then zach eventually is like hey are you jealous because you don't want me to be with somebody else or are you upset because i slept with her before you did yes that yeah i've always been confused by that because at the end it's Crystal Connors who Nomi's ready to leave, and she's like, hey, aren't you going to give me a big kiss before you leave? And then they do, they kiss, and Nomi, like, puts the hat on, and they both say, bye, darling. And then it holds on Crystal Connors, and she's definitely, like, tearing up. Yeah, but also Crystal was talking about how, oh, we're the same. So I feel like Crystal probably is feeling, like, nostalgia Mm, about, um, you know, maybe... Uh, Nomi getting out of show business while she's still young before it's like completely corrupt her. Um, it, yeah, it is definitely like it, it is a very it might be the definition of like a love hate relationship. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. But they're... also like this internal struggle that Crystal's having of uh, maybe her not being happy with herself and then her seeing herself in Nomi mm-hmm. and then wanting to change Nomi. Or make Nomi realize that what she's doing is, in fact, a form of prostitution. Yeah. Do you think Crystal uh, ever pronounced it as Versace? Do you think that that cycle happens as well? Every new dancer they get thinks it's Versace. <laughs> no, but I, <laughs> but I bet she probably pronounced it pronounced it like Coach. <laughs> instead of coach okay okay or i bet like, there might have been something else it wasn't versace but it was maybe like coach or gucky instead of gucci <laughs> yeah 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 something like that oh that i love that's such a funny like low-key funny part of this movie where she's like thanks it's a versace and everybody just stares <laughs> at her and she's like you know on the forum shops and they're like oh yes versace <laughs> <laughs> But then it's almost like then when she sees um, 
Zach, mm-hmm. and then he's the only one who corrects her. It's yeah. kind of like, I think that's kind of a moment of endearment for her of, oh, you're the only one who's going to tell it to Like, I trust you. Yeah. I feel yeah. safe with you. You're going to tell me the truth. Um, Yeah. Oh yeah, it's 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 good for sure. Um, I do I do also I I laugh at the scene when um, Nomi has the part and it's one of the um, I I don't th- I don't think it's the audition I think it's when she's practicing and it's not the dance choreographer it's the art director the the red haired dude and he's like like all the women are like laying on their backs on the floor with their like legs arched up and they're just pelvic thrusting into the air. And this dude, this, like, little skinny, white, red-haired dude is just screaming at them, thrust it! Thrust it! Thrust it! Come on, thrust it! And he's, like, getting right in their crotches, and I'm just like, this is so fucking goofy. (laughs) Yes! Thrust it! Thrust it! Thrust it! Come on, thrust it! Okay. That's enough. Thank you, ladies. Yes. But also, being a dancer, like... I remember taking this one ballet class and this was at like a national convention too. And so it was like a big deal. And mm-hmm. so the, we had this instructor and it was a ballet class. And if you don't tuck your butt under, like you're supposed to be completely straight in ballet. Like you're supposed to tuck your hips under. Okay. And if you weren't tucking your hips under, he would come around and like smack your ass. And I'm pretty sure he was gay, which I think, he felt like that made it okay for him to slap mm. underage girls asses um but but yeah this, that similar feeling of like and thrust and thrust it's like <laughs> and tuck your ass under like it's kind of one of those things that happens kind of in real life sure like, sure yeah <laughs> like oh this like gay choreographer is coming over and telling me what to do with my ass <laughs> So who did you push down the stairs to get that part back in the day? Or or can you not say? <laughs> I didn't push anybody down the stairs. Um, I just happened to get into the part. And then uh, it was a senior play. And I was Kim McAfee in Bye Bye Birdie. Oh, okay. Uh, a likely it, story. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it was uh, 420. And it was my first... My very first 420 ever smoking weed. I probably only smoked a handful of times before then. And I was really high. And then I went to, like, play practice. And the newspaper came to interview me. Oh, God. And I was really high. And he said, so, Heather, what was your first thought when you found out you got the lead role to the senior play? And I said, well, I didn't think I could sing. So I got me some singing lessons. (laughs) Like, stoned out of my mind. I thought you were going to say that he asked you this question, and you went, what? (laughs) So you had an actual answer, so that's good. I had an actual answer. It was just terrible English. So, yeah, my dad, when he read the article, he's like, Heather, I thought we taught you better than that. (laughs) That's Uh, good. So I didn't push anybody down the stairs. I just got really high and made a fool of myself. Got me some some singing lessons. (laughs) Got me some singing lessons. Oh, man, that's great. (laughs) All right. I think I was looking through my notes. I think that was everything I had. Were there any other things you wanted to point out in this movie? Wait, is it snack time? Well, if, if you have nothing else to point out, then yes, we will get to our real questions. But we don't do snacks first, so oh, okay. don't jump Sorry. the gun. <laughs> no, I think we covered a lot of stuff. Um, 
that that was really good. I like. Yeah, it. right on. Yeah. So if you haven't seen this movie, definitely check it out. It's definitely worth a a reevaluation, a rewatch, uh, not just for the nudity. Um, and yeah, I think uh, it's the next thing on our docket is we got to watch Showgirls two, and see if it's worthy of a bonus episode or maybe if we do like a sequel series that would go great in there but yeah, yeah. we definitely have to check it out pennies pennies from heaven <laughs> all right with that being said we get to the real questions of our episode and we are going to start with cinemodities and late night and since you are the newbie here i'm going to throw it over to you heather let's start with cinemodities what do you think yes or no and you can Feel free to give as much or as little explanation as you'd like. Um, I definitely feel like it's an oddity for its time and kind of what it was trying to portray. Um, yeah. Okay, okay. That's interesting. So I, I definitely had that, that sense. And like we discussed also, you know, the, the 95 versus the, the this day and age versus when is it portrayed, all that type of stuff. Um, for Cinemonities, I'm tempted to say no, specifically because... It is. It does come off as so portrayed so realistically, and it is just kind of like a a well done film that that I'm tempted to say no, but I'm also kind of leaning. So I think I'm going to go no for the records, but I was leaning towards a yes because I am baffled by the oddity that this is considered, or was, and still by some is considered the worst movie of all time when it is the farthest thing from that. <laughs> Yes. Um, yeah, no, you're right. It's definitely very realistic. All right. And then that brings us to Late Night. So would you would you recommend this slash uh, – Late Night is definitely our recommendation. I always kind of take Late Night as like if you have someone that you're hanging out with late at night, you know, and, and is this a movie that you would pitch or want to watch or force them to watch? That's definitely come up in some circumstances. Um, I think I would – watch this with somebody who I was trying to have sex with. Um, I think if I were to watch this with somebody um, who I had a platonic relationship with, I might take some extended bathroom breaks. <laughs> I, uh, okay. Okay. So, so it's kind of a, um, as we call it on here, it's a, it's a know your audience. So know who you're showing it to type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. One of those. I I, de I think this is an absolutely for late night. Um, I, I think this is a movie that people need to see and understand. And like I said before, not just for the boobies. Um, I think it is a very uh, intelligent movie. I think uh, if people have kind of thrown it by the wayside, then um, definitely, you know, definitely uh, get them to reevaluate it. I think I think the know your audience aspect that you brought up, Heather, is a little different for the two of us. Like, imagine if you're with a guy and you show them this movie, the guy's going to be like, okay, she's telling me something in maybe a good way. I feel like if I play this for a woman late at night, they can be like, this is like, what, what is this? Why are you showing me this? <laughs> True. Whereas if I were to show it to a woman at late night, we would end up going protesting shortly after. <laughs> so, so, so uh, I think that uh, I want to watch this with just a room full of men. It'll be great. <laughs> yeah, a room full of men. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, okay. So we got our cinemodies in late night, and that leaves us with our snacks. And, of course, now that you have some more information from the top of this episode about the Cinemodities restaurant, this is the context. Not only are we pitching snacks or 
maybe events or maybe additions, you know, it's all for the restaurant. So, you know, I think I'm going to start it off with one that I, I think we will both agree on. I don't know if you thought about it because you didn't, you weren't privy to the restaurant idea, but we do have a few stages in the restaurant um, for performances by, you know, very uh, various things such as animatronics. Um, I, I think last week for Black Swan, we formed a ballet group of the people who were trapped in our restaurant. Um, oh. I would like at some regular interval, a performance from Mama. I want the vaudeville comedy act with, with Mama and her dress and everything in the restaurant. I think that just goes without saying, right? See, I just want to eat a cheeseburger out of some cleavage. <laughs> oh, That's all I really want to do. I just want to have, like, this cheeseburger holder that, like, just sits there. Cleavage cheeseburger holder. I could get yeah. behind that. I could get behind that. Yeah, that's um, that's what I want. Okay, okay, I like that. Um, I I was def I didn't have cheeseburger. I was definitely thinking of the um the French fries and the soda at the beginning of the movie. Like uh-huh. I, I would love like a basket of like maybe chicken fingers, French fries, and a soda. But we force the customer to eat them incredibly aggressively. Yeah, and then <laughs> they get halfway through and they have to throw the rest up in the air. <laughs> yes, yes, and and that that's something we definitely do at the restaurant. You know, there's there's certain conditions on way certain dishes have to be eaten, and this one it would be like it would get taken away from you if that basket is like constantly not being shaken or thrown somewhere. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's good. Also, you have to vomit before you sit down to eat. Ooh. That, now that, Heather, that goes right in line with the concept of cinemodities, but it also goes with the idea of promoting reverse bulimia? (laughs) 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 Is is that okay? Can you promote reverse bulimia? It's show business, baby. It's show business. (laughs) I was about to say bulimia, but I was like, wait, no, you're vomiting before you're eating something, so... That's just going to do what? Give you like bad teeth or something, right? It cleanses your palate, okay? <laughs> Make sure you have enough room for the meal you're about to eat. Even <laughs> though the meal you're about to eat, most of it will end up on the floor somewhere. Exactly. Okay, okay, I like that. Uh, a- another food thing that I had was um, I, tr- I combined a few. Um, I like a dish where it's brown rice and vegetables, but also doggy chow dog food. Oh, that's right, the doggy chow. Apparently, another scene I've never quite gotten, are they, like, both making fun of each other, or are they both, like, actually saying they like dog food? It always It's always been on the I fence think they for were, me. I think they were saying that they both grew up so poor that at some point they had to eat dog food. <laughs> doggy chow. I love doggy I chow. Loved doggy chow. I think, dog food. no, I, I honestly feel like that's okay. them connecting over, like, hey, I grew up so poor I had to, like, I eat dog food. Um, okay, uh, yeah, I could see I, I could see that. I think it, it goes, it's definitely um, interpretable, for sure, because of what we know about their relationship up to that point. It's interesting, but nonetheless, doggy chow dog food with brown rice and vegetables. Can't <sighs> go wrong. So, what kind of restaurant were they in when... Nomi looks at the menu and she's like, I don't know what any of this is. Because I feel like we should have that on the menu. Like, I don't know what any of this is. And then it's just like a surprise. Oh, like the, like the menu item is called, I don't know what any of this is? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. okay. Um, I, I, kinda, I would have guessed they were at like a fancy French or a fancy Italian restaurant. Okay. Um, 
and maybe there was like a lot of foreign words that Nomi was just like, I can't read any of this shit. Um, but I, I like that. It could be, it could be like a roulette dish where, you know, you'd be like, I don't know what any of this is. Cause I guess just so you know, Heather, our menu is huge first off, but also it's not broken up into sections. Like you open the menu and the, and on the top left of the first page just says snacks. And then everything's listed in the order that we've pitched it in. Like there is no organization. So if someone oh. is overwhelmed by our menu, they could say, I don't know what any of this stuff is. And they kind of get like a random meal. Yeah. I, I like that's that. That's exactly what that should be. I like that. That's, that's a good randomizer because, you know, then, then it's really, we have no liability because then as the customer is leaving it into our hands for what they get, which may or may not be edible and may or may not kill them or incapacitate them. Perfect. Yes. That's one of our mottos. It's in a lot of places in the restaurant. No liability. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's good when you're opening any business. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Make people sign waivers. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, I I actually had a food item, but it would be for um, any service animals that come into the restaurant. I don't think there's something Zach and I have ever discussed, but as they say in Showgirls, um, the only thing they feed the monkeys is garlic. Yes. So I think any service animal that comes into the restaurant, we just feed them, feed them straight garlic. Oh, that's like okay. the little treat. Although I'm for the, pretty for the... sure garlic is like poisonous for dogs. Well, people better watch out. Don't bring <laughs> bring in your service monkey or something like that. Bring in your service ferret. Service. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, just any – so, okay, well, you know, maybe we'll expand on that in some future episodes, What we can feed other service animals, um, but we haven't really talked about the animals that come into our restaurant. I think other than maybe, like, the birds that have got trapped in there and just now live in there, and I think one of our things is that you can, like, hunt the birds for food as, oh. like, a, an experience. Um, but, yeah, okay. the service animals, we're going to start with just straight-up cloves of garlic – and we'll expand on it now that we've thought about it for the restaurant. Okay, I like it. I think I had one more, and it's not a food item, but let me, let me preface it this way. You know how some restaurants, like the fancy restaurants, you go in, and you need to have a certain like level of attire, like a suit jacket or something, and if you don't, they will provide one for you? Have you heard of that before? I've never heard of them providing it for you. I've heard of them kicking you out. Oh, oh I think it's uh, there's kind of a continuum of fancy. <laughs> Where okay. if they don't kick you out, some of them – I have heard of uh, – I think we talked about last month in I Heart Huckabee's. There was a restaurant like that. And um, for that one, I think Ben and I came up with that the men need jackets, but it's not suit jackets. It's like mountain climbing jackets. So it's like huge bulky jackets that we provide oh, them with in, in a like, certain portion of the restaurant. <laughs> like parkas. Yeah, yeah, and maybe, like, like as bulky as we can possibly get them, you know, so it's uncomfortable and, like, difficult to move while you're eating and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, some, some type of attire. I was thinking from Showgirls, what if there was a portion of the restaurant where at the entrance we would have a bowl of ice to rub on their nipples before they go in? Um... <laughs> And I'm talking yeah, everybody. I mean, I'm not talking I just mean, the women, just the men. I'm like everybody. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, having hard nipples definitely works up my appetite. So I would probably <laughs> spend more money in the restaurant. Now that that's a, that would be a great study to do. Does rubbing <laughs> ice on nipples tend lead to more people spending more money at a restaurant? <laughs> uh, yeah. 
Yeah, definitely it works up my appetite. It burns a lot more calories. So. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, man. Putting your body in that state of shock, it just, mm-hmm. you know, it really it really works up the appetite. Exactly. So I think those are all my snacks. Did you have any other any thoughts on the showgirls or for the restaurant or anything like that? Just champagne. Okay, lots, okay. Lots of champagne. Not even just champagne, like, in my mouth, but, like, champagne, like, on my head like a champagne shower type of thing yeah like nomi got in the pool yes yes that would that's so gross at least she's in a pool I, I, like because you can like wash it off kind of like i can't imagine get champagne poured in my head and then it like has to s- dry and get sticky oh oh my god if somebody were to pour champagne on my head i would definitely not have sex with them i would beat the shit out of them <laughs> yeah that is a punishable offense yes in not the hot kind of way either like I would just beat the shit out of him. Like the Andrew so. Carver way? The Nomi yeah, like way? The, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Perfect. All right. So uh, uh, at the last bit of the restaurant, uh, I think I do want to extend, because I've extended to all these other guests, um, uh, we love when they, they uh, provide us with additions to the restaurant, of course. Uh, these all get recorded. We have a big spreadsheet of all this stuff. And uh, even though you added stuff, and now you're part of the Cinemodities uh, brain trust, I guess we can call it, uh, Zach and I are still the only owners and operators. We're 50-50, or as I've said in the last few weeks, uh, when the government comes for us, I'm 51 and Zach is 49, to give most of the blame to me. But we will offer you, the next time you're in Times Square, if that could ever happen again with the quarantine and whatever, uh, you can go to the VIP room of the Cinemodis restaurant. And the only thing that does is it makes it a little less likely that you're going to die in the restaurant. Oh, like okay. all the prices are the same and stuff like that, and you know, but but we we try and give you a hint if that makes okay. sense. Okay. <laughs> Do I tell you that I'm allergic to snails, bef- like deathly allergic to snails before I enter this portion of the restaurant? I would probably say you shouldn't have told us that because now the VIP room is going to be covered in snails. Oh, great! Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can touch them. I just can't eat them. Hmm. They're. Uh... <laughs> The, it's for it's some, unfortunate, I know. For some snails. reason, the thing that came into my mind is you're not going to want to eat these snails, but they're going to want you to eat them. <laughs> now I have now I have to figure out how to genetically create snails that want to be eaten. <laughs> I got homework like, now. <laughs> they, like, dress themselves up as other foods. Like, a snail, like, paints a T-bone steak onto its shell. <laughs> they're just, like, jumping into <laughs> hot pans with butter. oh man all right well with all that being said first and foremost uh thank you heather for coming on here talking about showgirls yes it was a pleasure um we will get back to our audience uh in some time about uh showgirls 2 we have to figure out something to do with that uh but before we go is there anything that you would like to pitch to our audience that I could put in the show notes where they can find you if they want them to find you uh where can they see you dance uh, things like that. You got anything? Yeah, no. I want to remain as anonymous as possible. <laughs> so if you guys want to find me, hit up Rob, and he will convey every message to me. Okay. Yes. Yes. So uh, if you want to hear, uh, if you want to hear more from Heather, if you hate Heather, if you want to reach out to Heather, you can hit us up in the usual channels, uh, cinemodities at gmail dot com, or you can bother Zach uh, at cinemodities on Twitter. And I think this would start to be great now that Zach hasn't been on for a few weeks. We've had all these other hosts. 
I think yeah, our, our we should fan let's base... troll Zach. Let's troll Zach <laughs> Just... and complain about how he's been how he's been replaced by a woman. <laughs> yeah, where's where's Maximo? Maximo, like, start tweeting Zach and be like, <laughs> Zach, I need you to give a message to Heather. And Zach's gonna be like, What the fuck does this mean? <laughs> exactly. Give give okay. I I I withdraw my last statement. Okay. Give Zach all of my inquiries. And make oh. sure you make them as troll as possible, please. Thank you. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, when Zach comes back, he's going to be like, I've been having to deal with the restaurant. Now i got to deal with this Twitter shit you're sending my way. <laughs> you can blame that one on me. Oh, that's good. That's good. All right. Well, we always end our episodes by playing something in reverse, some music. And I figure what music better to play for this episode than our actual goddess music in reverse. So oh, not our... the original, not the original song that, that they uh, got the Raz for. Oh no, no, that is no, that is since that on, that song only shows up for like five seconds in the movie. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, we need a longer. Outro. Yeah, I want I want to use the one that's like the full the thing we hear like what eighty times in the movie. <laughs> Yeah, let's do that one. And then everybody make sure you do your jazz hands. Oh, yes, yes. Everybody look up the jazz hands. Do the do, But I'm in reverse. Right oh. So like you start out that. with the jazz hands and you end with a fist. Oh, I got to practice that. I got yeah. more homework. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's been real.